Yeah, and she gets a job on a, like a starship or something, like right away. She's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be investigating the what, what, not, not. <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins. Joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Hello! And from Music Video Sins, Barrett Share. And what a voice that is. Man, yep. I love listening to your voice. I sure am glad that you said that, and I didn't do what I almost did, because instead of hello, I almost went with Ivan Flyvin, Mrs. Ivan Ivan. Yeah, and then, <laughs> and then, and then you <laughs> could have come in with, I just love that voice. Yeah, and it would have been like a, so such a joke after that. Well, you secret know. ingredient is long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's been messing with this thing? Well, I love you. it, man. I've been listening to a lot of your narration. When you lean into sins, it's it's fun stuff, man. Well, it's just sometimes it's easier than others to just kind of like actually feel what I am often pretending to feel when yeah. I do the narration. Some movies piss me off enough. I just get I just get into the narration. I'd say about twice a month, I'll I'll finish one and go. That was good. <laughs> mm. I was especially into that one. Mm. That, uh, that cathartic. That reading was good on that one sin or what happened. Anyway. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, um, hi. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> hello, everybody. We're here talking about some stuff. Yes. Um, we're gonna go right into the movie club today. You can find me in the club. You should join our club. You and your friend. Now, if you're not going to take this seriously, perhaps we should disband the club now. <laughs> <laughs> I love being a part of things. We're going to be talking about we're going to be talking about action comedies. Yeah. Mm. Um action comedies now obviously as we go deeper into these movie clubs there's going to start getting some overlap into some other areas, you know, like mm-hmm. we we've, we've been talking about all these different movies and sometimes, you know, like I was sitting there thinking what really constitutes action comedy? There's some like in our comic book talk we could have talked about yep. that goes into this, like Guardians of the Galaxy or something mm-hmm. like that. Although I don't know if anybody here put Guardians of the Galaxy down as far as an action comedy uh, on there. Certainly any kind fits of, the definition, but it certainly fits, and it's and it, even though it's a comic book movie, generally it's still an action comedy. I mean, the the main thing for those movies is to make you laugh more than anything. That's true, and that's why they're successful. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess you've got like a superordinate with Guardians of the Galaxy of it. It's a space opera, or it's supposed to be. The super superordinate is it's a Marvel movie, right? Right. <laughs> but then it's a space opera, and then it's this, and then it's that. You know. But when I think of action comedies, I always think of stuff like Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah, that's what I think of. Cop movies with comedians generally uh, as the lead mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, Lethal Weapon would probably fit into that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, even though I don't think Mel Gibson was really considered a comedian or anything, and certainly not Danny Glover. Yeah. But that those were comedy movies essentially. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, even though there's like seriousness to it yeah. or whatever, it's really just Mel Gibson just being crazy and everything. Um. Anyway, who wants to start us off with our? We we're doing these in you know best favorite under underrated and underseen. Who wants to start off with your best? Well, I think we all agreed an email before we came here that hot fuzz would be you know probably on everybody's list mm-hmm. yeah so let's at least discuss that for a second before we get it out of the way this is one of those movies that i avoided because of Shaun of the dead now don't take that the wrong way i think Shaun of the dead is great i just really really don't care about zombie shit mm-hmm. and i watched Shaun of the dead and there's just enough of the zombie shit in there that i can see the funny 
I laughed a lot, but it's not a visual I want to put my eyes in front of again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I avoided hot fuzz, not realizing not realizing what I was missing out mm-hmm. on. And this is one of the rare movies that nobody beat me over the head encouraging me to watch. I just sat down and watched it one day when it was on, and I, it's just fucking hysterical. It's almost too funny. It's perfect, because it Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz both, we've talked about it before, they, they are so loving to the source material that it could almost stand on its own, and then you've got the comedy on top of it. And, man, that's that's what Edgar Wright movies just kill with. Well, yeah. obviously, Hot, Hot Fuzz has that um, real, I don't know, real regard for all the old, uh, you know, cop buddy cop movies. Mm-hmm. Especially when you go into Nick Frost's uh, video collection in that movie, and it's <laughs> yeah. just wall-to-wall, point-break, lethal weapon, <laughs> and all that. That's why there's that great little line where he's like, you know, like, have you ever shot your gun into the air and yelled, ah, you know, it's like, no, I've never shot my gun into the air and yelled, ah, and then of course, later on, they do it, a la point break, yeah. and, uh, and it, it's, it's that type of thing, like, it's sitting there, it's making fun of it, but then at the same time, it, like, you know, it's, 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 it's reveling in mm-hmm. it. Well, and the setting is so great, I think every, most of the time when, at least for us Americans, when we see film set in england we're looking at london right yep especially if it's an action movie of any kind and this is just like a sleepy little hillside i bet you there are a hundred towns like this scattered across <laughs> england uh, and then you bring that large scale action to this quaint little town that has all these quirks and um <laughs> yeah a great turn from timothy dalton even mm-hmm. yes um so yeah i really really like that movie i would i would say that's probably the best you and know, I guess I just stole that, and you guys can't say it. The now. thing about Timothy Dalton, though, um, unfortunately, most of our exposure to him was with the two very horrible Bond movies yep. that he was in. And from what I understand, he's a respected actor, <laughs> you know. And the for- unfortunately for us, all we ever saw him in was those two movies. Yeah. Uh, and everything else I've ever seen him in, he's been great, mm-hmm. and he's great in this. And it's got it's uh it is one of those where it's like it feels like you've got a primary villain but it really has more in store for you yeah i i love this man all these characters yep these characters the music in it the way edgar wright does those those like those quick you know those edits when things are like really moving and everything mm-hmm. um i just damn man this is this is such a good movie all the way through well and the buzz early on here for baby driver is pretty good yeah what'd you think i uh i did see this uh the other day and oh um, was this when you were trapped <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> experience right chris yeah. was a few hundred yards from a shooting yeah, yeah i was um there was a sort of an inmate getting taken into the uh, health uh i guess services or whatever that's over by vandy and after my movie was over uh somebody was waiting at the door telling us that uh, we wouldn't be able to leave for a while because of the incident even though it was way over yeah uh, but, um, anyway, yeah, I watched baby driver and, and it's interesting. Edgar Wright seems to kind of be sort of like, I, I, all right. The Cornetto trilogy was the Cornetto trilogy. Uh, this is a new thing for yeah. me. And he, and there's very, there's a couple of moments where you can say, oh, that's Edgar Wright for mm-hmm. sure. But, uh, but man, there's so many like cool little things in this and everything. I don't know if I'm ready to just jump on and be like, hell yeah, best movie I've seen in years uh-huh. and all that type of thing. Uh, but though I do know that there were a lot of moments in there that was really I was just loving it. The the finale of it was kind of what sort of felt like it was crashing down a little bit. Mm. 
Um, but uh, but overall, I mean, Jamie Foxx is terrifying in this movie. Um, there's a uh, you know, I like the little love story in there. Lily James, man. That, oh yeah. She is special, man. Who, who is she? <laughs> Lily James was in Cinderella. That was her okay. big right. her big thing. But she's been in a few other things since then. But uh, she's she's really good at this in this in this. But uh, that Ansel Engort or whatever his name is, I can't remember how it's pronounced. Oh, the main character. Yeah, mm-hmm. his he's. It's funny. Like I feel like I really like him because of his character. I'm. We'll see how this guy is in other movies and mm-hmm. everything like that because. Because right now I'm ready to go, this guy's a star or whatever, yeah. but it, his character's so good, man. It's like one of those, he his care. it's like you fall in love with characters a lot of times, and then when you start seeing people in other things, it's yeah. like, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, he's it, it's, it's just interesting. He's He's got this tinnitus or whatever from a, an earlier uh, thing, and he, he plays this music all the way. He plays his music all the time. He's got earbuds in it all the time. And there's just this, there's, a, I don't want to go too far into it, but there's a great scene in there involving uh, him and, and someone asking him if he's heard something or mm-hmm. whatever. It's really, really good. Nice. So anyway, yeah, I would recommend it. Cool. Uh, it, the, like I said, the ending of it is what sort of made me get, the sort of the last 20 minutes of it is what sort of made me go. Uh, but it doesn't look like an Edgar Wright film? Not really. There's like, and ironically where it starts looking like an edgar wright film is during those last 20 minutes but Hmm. it's just small parts of it it's the way it's edited you know how he does all that you Mm -hmm. know quick actions all in several cuts which where cutting is actually fun right there was a headline recently that he's never watched ant-man no i tweeted about it he's he said he hasn't and never will and the quote (laughs) he gave was something along the lines of that's like asking if i want to see someone fuck my Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm ex-girlfriend i don't think he said fuck but um well he wanted to been working on it for 10 years yeah and then and you know every time i see when you see a movie like this you're like man how much better would i mean we said this already before but how much better would ant-man have been had he had been able to do what he wanted to do mm-hmm. uh, but yeah it's it it's it's obvious someone behind the camera knows what he's doing and everything but i could not point to you that this is an edgar wright movie just by because you know there a lot of a lot of the trademarks of his stuff is in that cornetto trilogy and in scott pilgrim mm-hmm. yeah, yeah um so uh, it, it doesn't really follow that. It's not, and it's not a lot of jokes. There's some funny. There's a lot of funny stuff in it. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, yeah, it's never. It's never to the point where you're like, oh, this is so Edgar Wright. The opening credits are very Edgar Wright. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, yeah, good movie. I would. I would recommend. It. All right. So, um, what are your guys' best in the genre of action? And comedy? you guys also wanted to talk about Tropic Thunder too. Oh yeah. It's yeah. Sort of as a as a pre before we get into our other best. So yeah, Tropic Thunder. It's good. It really is. It's like it holds up really well, and it's a great tweak on that mistaken identity thing that we see in like Three Amigos or Bugs Life or Galaxy Quest, which mm-hmm. I just watched again the other day, um, <clears throat> where a certain number of the characters have to be convinced of something that's not true, yeah. and then the comedy just kind of starts, you know, billowing out from there. Um, the other day, I went up to my wife. She asked me a question, and I turned. And I said, "I am a rooster illusion," <laughs> which, is, which is what Ben Stiller says at the end when they're trying. Like they have this big build up where, "Come on, you gotta help us, buddy. We gotta get out of here." And there's this big pause, and he goes, 
I am a rooster illusion. <laughs> <laughs> Jay Barstow's like, fuck it, let's yeah, get yeah, out of yeah. here. <laughs> um, it never fails to make me laugh. I've probably seen it 15 times now. Yeah. And I look forward to so many beats in the film, it's hard to tear myself away. Um, you yeah, you can easily too, right? go yeah. through the entire thing. I mean, I started it up at like 11 o'clock one night, and I was like, just going to watch this until I fall asleep. Watch the entire thing, man. I know that when Tropic Thunder was coming out, I was not enthused by the trailers that i was seeing um because this was a period of time where um a lot of theater companies were sort of experimenting with putting red band trailers back on to movies again after a long long because the the main thing is is that people were putting them on the wrong things and, and you know people would see some really terrible shit on kids movies um but uh, but like when Tropic Thunder, Tropic Thunder was around this time with like Pineapple Express and yep. all this other stuff, they were all trying these red band trailers, and the red band trailers, man, they there's something about these things that just, and then now now they have they're just green band, but they're just approved for this feature. Mm. You see that now they're still green band now. Those former red band trailers. Oh really? Yeah, man. Like the uh, oh, it says approved for this feature, not approved for all audiences. Right, right, right. Screen. Ah. Uh, so they do that now, but uh, but yeah, back then they uh, they were trying to get the red bands back in, and like all these red band trailers, they always seem to be like. Let's see how much we can get away yeah. with, mm-hmm. and, it, and it starts piling on. So, like Tropic Thunder was one of those. Like I was sitting there watching, and I was like, "Oh, so it's filthy! Oh, that's hilarious!" <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> you know, nothing with all the stuff that you would see later on that's really good in the movie and everything. But like, you know, stuff like Jack Black getting tied to the tree and saying, "I will suck your dick," yeah. <laughs> and all that. I'll cradle the balls. Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, it, they just they just throw that in there without context, and you're just kind of like, "Oh, okay, so it's filthy, eh?" Um, but yeah, I after I watched it, I was sold immediately as soon as the trailers at the yeah. beginning of it those fake trailers started um and they were perfect send send-ups of hollywood in mm. general especially that robert downey jr uh <laughs> toby mcguire satan's alley one <laughs> man when we were working for real seo years ago oh yeah i remember this i remember reading that stiller was going to start making actively making fake trailers and putting them on YouTube and yeah. stuff. And that has not happened. Huh. And it crushes my soul because that is a great idea. Yeah. If you're Ben Stiller and you have the friends and the resources, you know, to make it great. Yeah. If you're me, it's not going to go so well. But <laughs> anyway, I wish that show would happen. Those trailers are hilarious. It's the perfect setup for this movie, um, you know, to let us see basically the world we're living in and how delusional these actors are. Like mm. I always love the beat when, when McConaughey is like, they haven't set you TiVo yet? And he's like, well, they have digital cable. It's okay. <laughs> like, entitled, that's a first world problem if ever there was one. Of course, the TiVo ends up saving his life. But yeah, uh, really, really love this movie. Mm-hmm. Might watch it tonight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's action-y and comedy. Yeah. So it qualifies. Absolutely. Right, All right. Anybody else got a best? Let's do some bests. How about the nice guys? Yeah. yeah. That is like one of the... And I, I don't know why that period that time period works the 70s 80s because that i guess that was kind of the birth of these types of movies yeah you know at least the golden age when you're able to take out cell phone technology and stuff like that yeah there is a lot there's something that adds to it i don't know what it is i haven't really thought about it but it's like it some movies are just better without that yeah crap man yeah 
Because, you know, like now we can save everybody with cell phones. <laughs> well, and, this we, is... and we don't want to save everybody. We want some people to die. Yeah, exactly. I was never like the biggest Ryan Gosling fan ever until this last year with La La Land and the Nice Guys. Because mm-hmm. it showed like his, finally his range. I mean, yeah, he could be in The Notebook and he could be, you know, in Crazy Stupid Love and everything. But he always had that annoying like New York accent, even though he's not from there. And too cool for school type of demeanor. And now, like, he just opened up. And the Nice Guys, I think, was an even better performance. Than La- his La timing, his, he's got comedic timing yes. that we didn't know was there. Um, and I just, I love the idea that somewhere along the lines, Shane Black decided, I think Russell Crowe and this handsome dreamboat from The no- Notebook who makes dramas, I think they'll be a great comedy <laughs> pair. And maybe it's the fact that he'd sort of been through this a little bit before with Val Kilmer and... Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, Robert yeah. Downey Jr. was more of a straight-up comedian, I guess, than either of these two and the nice guys. But to to know that the chemistry would be that good and that kind of talent, because Russell Crowe, bless his heart, he's playing the straight man here, and he doesn't get a lot of the good jokes. He doesn't get a lot of the great comedy, uh, but he's great in this movie. Yes, he is. And it's only because of how good he is that Gosling is able to get all zany. I fucking love that scene when... He's so wasted, he falls asleep driving, and you don't know that until it pans over and there's a bee, and yeah. like a ginormous bee behind him, just smoking a cigarette and casually talking to him. And in that dream, before they crash, he sees Russell Crowe with an ankle gun. And then later on, towards the end of the movie, they're held at gunpoint by this woman who works for Kim Basinger. <laughs> dives to the ground when she turns her head yeah. and starts pawing at Russell Crowe's ankle. Yeah. And it's like, what are you doing? Look for the ankle gun. Did I dream that? <laughs> <laughs> it's just, uh, he has several moments where he's just zany as hell. Yeah. Um, I I have, I said this before, I think a few weeks ago, it's it, it, it's super rewatchable. I, oh, yeah. I haven't passed it on the dial yet without stopping to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just really packed with hilarity. And mm-hmm. But this one could also be slotted, I think, down in Underseen because I think so. Yeah, it did all right, but it was one of those came and went movies that the general public probably still hasn't caught up to. Yep, um, and uh, it's good. Mm-hmm. I like it better than Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yeah, and uh, that's great. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, good call. Yeah, nice guys. Yeah, that's a that's a movie that I don't know if we've just come out and recommended, but go go watch it. It's oh, start so to good. finish. Um, I'm going to go with, I, I guess, a, a little bit more mainstream. And let's just go Ghostbusters. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, and, and Ghostbusters doesn't typically, you know, immediately call out to you as action comedy. It's mm-hmm. more of a, like, ghost comedy or something like that. But it's mm-hmm. action comedy, man. Yeah, they, yeah. These, uh, these guys, uh, basically, uh, the... I guess the plot of this, the way the writers saw it was this is just a bunch of guys starting a business. Mm-hmm. That's basically what it is, is they're starting a new business. <laughs> and uh, But once they start getting these proton packs and everything and start going into the field with them and everything... There, you know, it's you know the it's just fun. the 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 whole thing is so fun. The uh the whole way. Um, it's one of my favorite movies of all time, too. Me too. Um, it's uh, it's it is. I don't know if there's really very any, much of anything that falls flat in Ghostbusters. Right. Um, and ha- and having watched the remake recently. <sighs> 
<laughs> I don't know what they were. I mean, really, honestly, the, the, the remake of Ghostbusters is worse the second time. I agree. I saw it a second time, and it was the same thing. And and it just I, there's there's a desperation to the comedy, and you can always tell when there's when there's no confidence in the comedy. It's desperate, mm-hmm. and that's what that movie is. And there's so many good people in it, and you're just like, come on! There's so many good people. I know you're. I've you've all made me laugh a hundred million times. What's going on with us? Well, there's two, and you probably noticed it on that second one. There's two ways that it goes. It goes super actiony in the action sequences and belies the humor. Just puts that aside and just makes it like an action piece and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And then there's those. Which should be a trademark of like Melissa McCarthy and and Kristen Wiig, those little jokes that go on too long. Yep. And they make those little comments and that kind of thing. And that should be like the fun stuff, but it's just not. It's yeah, not funny. Yeah, it really isn't. It's just a, there's a just a definite, and I, I can't really come up with a better word than desperation. Mm-hmm. Is it, when you watch a movie and they're just like trying so hard and everything. It's effortless in the 1984 version. Mm-hmm. Uh, something I just thought of: What makes a great action comedy? Is it just the comedy, or does the action have to be good too? Because Ghostbusters has good action in it too. It's very hard to make this type of movie. Yeah. Um, this, you know, special effects comedy action like make that work. I mean, hardly anybody's been able to make it work since. Mm-hmm. I have another one listed called Men in Black, which is yeah. also kind of got that down and everything, but. I always think about the first time we see the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, mm-hmm. his head just creeping over the the buildings, and that music, that yeah. little stinger, as he always gives me chill bumps every time the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man shows up because it's that there's a there's a sense of terror to it. It's so ridiculous though. <laughs> yeah. The M- Marshmallow Man is so ridiculous. Yeah. He's it's supposed to make you laugh, but there's a terror to yeah. it that's incredible. It just popped in there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what would they have picked if they had cleared their minds and picked like the most innocuous, like very, very safe character they could have thought of? It would probably be this, yeah, right? Yeah, it would. And and when he's when he's stomping on everything, he's smiling. Yeah. <laughs> the only time he gets angry is when he's on fire. Yeah, yeah. He's a, he's you know you see him bouncing like down the street, and he's like smiling, and he looks he looks like he doesn't he doesn't have any doesn't bad have bones meaning. in his yeah, body. Meaning to do it. Yeah. Um. You know, and and this was a movie that the way it was written before, I believe it was Aykroyd and Belushi were going to be in it. Uh-huh. And and it was apparently insane when they wrote it. Like there was all sorts of stuff in this that it got finally got. I think Ivan Reitman came in and they mm. were like, "All right, uh, here's some good stuff, and then let's uh, let's make this uh, a different kind of movie because it was it was going to go all sorts of crazy ass places." And thank God it did because it's <laughs> perfect movie. Uh-huh. Anyway, that's all. Yeah. I'm going to stretch the definition of action just a tiny bit for my best. You motherfucker. I knew it. I knew I knew I was going to set Chris off with this pick. Mm-hmm. Um, the best action comedy from Jeremy's perspective is Star Trek for the voyage home. Oh, that's an action. <laughs> that's an action comedy, which is it's a, I, I it's, agree with you. OK, good. Yeah. Yeah. Because this this is a comedy film, yeah. unlike any Trek before it, unlike any Trek after it. And. It's loony. It's, you know, it's got a very blatant environmentalist message yep. that they have basically crammed the Star Trek universe around. 
if you've never seen it, they go back in time to get some humpback whales and bring them back forward in time because there's some kind of probe destroying the planet that wants to talk to whales. Mm -hmm. So just, you know, write that down and reread what I just said <laughs> as a description of the movie and you'll start giggling just at the stupidity of it. But there's so many great gags here with the travel to the past, like Scotty with the computer not knowing how it works and Bones at the hospital being horrified by kidney uh, what is the dialysis? Yeah. Um, and then Spock has, you know, he's changed because he he died at the end of Wrath of Khan and came back in the next movie, um, search for Spock, but he's still not quite normal. Mm -hmm. And so he, t he takes a liking to swear words, mm -hmm. which yeah. Kirk explains are called colorful metaphors. Um, they get to use it in traffic. Yeah. That, isn't, isn't that where that happens? Yeah. Uh, somebody runs into him and, and then Kirk is explaining, well, that's the way these people talk nowadays. You have to talk like that. And then every time Spock tries to cuss, it's fucking, fucking hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he's you know wearing this white robe and he's got a headband. He looks ridiculous. Um, I just love the shit out of this movie. I'd say by the time I was 20, I had seen this movie twice as often as any other Star Trek. Now, it, it's faded in adulthood, but... Yeah. The kid in me just ate this shit up. This was my first exposure to Star Trek. Oh, good lord! The first thing I ever saw that mm, was Star Trek. That related. must have been confusing. It was because I was, you know, it's set in the eighties, and I remember the scene on the bus where he takes the, the dude with the ghetto blaster yeah. and he takes that guy out. He does the full connection. Yeah, I was seven on. years old, and I was like, "Oh, this is fun. This is what Star Trek <laughs> yeah. is." And then, obviously, I, you know, yeah, and Star Trek is not. I mean, there's always been light moments in Star Trek, mm. uh, but. Star Trek has never been comedy until this well, one movie. And and this was actually directed by Leonard, Leonard Nimoy, mm. and he would go on the next year to direct Three Men and a Baby. Yeah. So maybe he was just honing his skills for Three Men and a Baby. It's the same year as, as uh, Transformers, too. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, but uh, yeah, man, Star Trek Four is a loony ass fucking movie, yeah. man. And it, I mean, yeah, save the whales picture. <laughs> It just, it's just insane. Yeah, where by the end, the human scientist who takes care of the whales has decided, I'm going to come to the future with you. I have no life here in the 80s. My whales are gone. I'm just going to leap ahead several hundred years. <laughs> uh, uh, Catherine Hicks of Seventh Heaven fame. Yes. Later oh, seventh, yeah. Seventh. yeah. And she gets a job a on a, like a starship or something, like right away. She's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be investigating the what, what, not, not. <laughs> anyway. You know what? It would really go a long way about backing this up if she actually said it that <laughs> way <laughs> she does not but, um anyway yeah i just fucking love that movie and uh I, that's my pick for best even though it's probably not the best i should say something like back to the future or yeah that could that's more along probably your favorite more than a best or whatever yeah but i have other movies listed under favorite mm -hmm. so i wanted to get that one out of the way here yeah i'm just gonna play by my own selfish you rules. do you man not gonna play by your rules anymore yeah <laughs> There's so many favorites, man. I'm going to put another guy's uh, movie in here. Okay. The Other Guys. Yeah. Because, god damn it, that should be underseen, too. Because that is such a fucking it's hilarious It's a pretty decent movie. hit, though. Yeah, I guess so. But it, it, it's not, of all the Adam McKay movies, mm. it's not one of his most seen, for yeah. sure. I haven't seen it. Oh my God! It is it is absolutely hilarious. I've heard everything about this. This comes is at Wahlberg you. and Will Ferrell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything about this just comes at you in a weird way, like mm -hmm. uh, the fact that you know Will Ferrell's a desk jockey and everything, but somehow is has every hot woman attracted to him. Yeah, he has. He goes through his backstory and he's like, when I was in college, you know, a girl asked me if I would like 
you know, run a dating service for her. And then like other girls started coming over and like, you know, I was setting up dates for them and that kind of thing. And then they would give me money and stuff like that. And Wahlberg's like, so you were a pimp. He's like, no, I wasn't a pimp. Uh, they called me Gator. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. fucking great. He's like married to Eva Mendez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. It's it's a, it's worth watching. There's a scene later on in the movie where they kind of get down on their luck and they're like, fuck it, let's go out and have a couple of drinks. And then they go out to a bar and it doesn't like progress through the scene. It's just a series of stills from the moment they enter to the back of the bar, you know what I'm talking mm. about? And it gets progressively crazier. Like they just start like, you know, doing shots. And then the next scene is like Will Ferrell standing on the pool table, pissing on someone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's absolutely <laughs> insane. It's not like any other action comedy. I don't think I've, I've seen like it just, it takes it up another notch. It of course has one of my favorite sight gags of all time. And that's, I guess I don't know. I don't know if I guess it qualifies as just a sight gag, but but the Rock and Samuel L. Jackson <laughs> jumping off of a building, like in like you know, because in in action movies it's insane. Like <laughs> yeah. you know, it it doesn't matter what what the heroes do; they're always going to survive or whatever. But they're on top of this building and they and they jump and they're like aim for the bushes <laughs> and they jump and like you see this long like ah and they're like all i mean the camera's just on them back back to the camera the entire time on their way down and they just hit the sidewalk <laughs> uh, that's great. That's and awesome. uh it's it's one of my favorite jokes of the past like seven or eight years it's so funny <laughs> um I, I under i'm gonna put a favorite here it might be also an underseen but um shaolin soccer nice steven chow yes this motherfucker is hilarious yeah, man. i fucking love this guy yes um shaolin soccer is just oh man this movie is so insane and funny all the way through like he doesn't he he, he doesn't give a fuck kind of like the zucker brothers yeah <laughs> Uh, and, and there, I mean, it's very close to Zucker brothers type of comedy yeah. and everything. There's a moment in there where there, he's sort of learning how to play soccer for the first time. And the team that they're up against is like a bunch of just like, there's just a gang basically. It's just a gang. And like the gang is like just killing them on the, on the, on the, you know, on the field and everything. So like, there's a point where he's just like, he's like rolling around on the grass and suddenly he's got a gun and a beret and all this other type of stuff. And he's rolling around, he's got a radio and he's like, yeah, we're taking it horrible fire. And of course, like there's a point where the coach comes up to him and he, and like kicks him and he's like, he's just holding like, it's not even, it's not even what it was before. It was just something he was imagining. But it was, he's got the, the, his main character is basically like, I want to make, I want to make Kung Fu mainstream. I want to find a way to do this. And, uh, and at first he thinks with the like little duo band that he's in or whatever, he can like, he can like put in Kung Fu lyrics into it and people will start like wanting to be like Kung Fu masters because <laughs> of it. And of course that's not a good idea, but then soccer, it becomes that like, let's make a soccer team <laughs> and I'm going to get all my brothers who are masters at, at karate and Kung, Kung Fu to come in and, and, and play soccer and everything. <laughs> but what's funny is that it's like it, that as they practice, and of course they practice for like what an hour or something. <laughs> and suddenly he can like kick the ball, like perfectly into this bullseye yeah. over and over and over again until it's like, there's like, it's like actually cracking the wall and everything. <laughs> um, 
it's just funny when they play their actual first real game. Like the the ball is barely kicked, and they just kick this insane mid <laughs> mid midfield shot that goes into the goal, and like it goes in, and there's like a pause, and then they turn around and they're like, "Yeah!" <laughs> <laughs> and then they're like, "Whoa, what happened? Was that a trick or something?" Like the other team's like, "What is that?" And it's like, "Okay, well let's try this," and then like the next thing that kicks off again, and they kick the about the same thing goes in the net, and then it's like a pause, and it's like, "Yeah!" <laughs> <laughs> and they win like 40 to nothing. <laughs> but it's it's funny because all of these like moves that they can make, this is all like, you know, it's like it's like a crouching tiger on steroids yep. with soccer. Mm-hmm. You know, and and you know, they they can kick these balls and make like all this stuff happen like the the ground comes off, you know, like it's so hard like it's fire coming off the ball yeah, and, and it's so well shot. Yeah. And uh, that and Kung Fu Hustle, which was on yeah. my list too, but and uh, the stuff he does after, but specifically in that time frame, it's beautifully shot. Mm-hmm. And like you got the comedy and you've got this amazing action that rivals like a cartoony version of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yeah. And the performances are awesome, man. Oh, I love that guy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and it's 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 just funny watching these soccer games because these aren't real soccer games. <laughs> like this, is more about a. It's like a sort of an infusion of of kung fu, yeah. and and that and and really like the scoring is is not really important to these guys. Yeah. It doesn't even feel like because there's even one point where. The guy, there's a one of the, the the evil team who are actually called evil. Um, <laughs> there's a point where they 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 like totally injure the goalkeeper. Like he's got to get carted off and everything. Mm. He's got a wide open goal. <laughs> he doesn't score there. He just kind of like oh, I did my part. <laughs> I did my part there. Just, I hurt the goalie. He's gone. Um, but man, there's so many funny things. Just, I mean, just in the game of soccer itself, it's funny. I mean, there's like so many little things in there that just just made me laugh mm-hmm. like crazy in it. So I would definitely recommend going to see that. Definitely, that's nice. a fantastic segue um, to what I'm going to call my favorite for this topic, and that's uh, Iron Monkey, which is something ah. I've talked about a lot. But um, and again, I've often called it like a comedic crouching tiger. It's nowhere near that long. It's like an hour and 30 minutes, maybe. Mm. Um, and it's basically set back in the days where Kung Fu was rampant and monks and whatnot and ancient China. And <clears throat> so uh, this has got Donnie Yen in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's come to town with his son, who's played by a girl, um, and basically ends up getting into a fracas with the local gang of hoods. Gets called before the corrupt magistrate or leader of this town. And basically is forced to go out and hunt down the Iron Monkey. Mm. And then we'll let you and your son go. The Iron Monkey is tormenting us. And so Iron Monkey's like a Batman figure. He goes around in a really dark ninja outfit and steals money from the rich and gives it to the poor, basically. <laughs> um, Robin Hood meets Batman meets Kung Fu mm. with comedy is this basic premise. Uh, and then just all the fights, even when they're not making jokes, make me giggle like crazy. Because uh-huh. it's just, it's somewhere between reality and Shaolin soccer in terms of what they're able to do. They're able to jump, a, you know, a little higher than a real human should be able to jump. There's mm-hmm. a little bit of magic going on in some of this Kung Fu here and there. Um, but uh, just makes me giggle. I don't know why. It's something about <laughs> seeing Donnie Yen kick a guy's chest like 20 times in a second and a half. <laughs> it's just I can't not laugh when I'm watching that. Uh, anyway, so again, maybe it's not for everybody, but it's, it's probably one of my favorite action comedies of all time. I watch it regularly. Mm-hmm. 
regularly. Oh, yeah. Um, what are we moving on to now? We're going to Underseen. Underseen. And I'm going to continue this theme. Oh, no. Another guy's <laughs> of, of movie? martial arts oh. uh, movies. And I think it was Underseen when I was growing up. And when I discovered the first VHS copy of Rumble in the Bronx. Yeah. Oh, yeah, baby. Fucking blew my mind. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of, it, it's different from what we were just talking about because all of this is shit Jackie Chan did. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it's not, you know, effects driven or anything like that. It it's just unbelievable to watch, and I haven't seen anybody. I mean, I'm sure there's there's been other people that uh, that have copied this style and even elevated it, Jet Li and Donnie Yen and things like that. But Jackie Chan, who from what I remember, grew up in like the the Chinese opera, and mm-hmm. like he would he would have to act and emote and all that stuff when he's when he's doing these fight scenes. And so he would he would make things look like it hurts and like you know shake his hand off if it got yeah. hit with the with the stick or something like that. And Rumble in the Bronx was kind of the first um, instance where I saw that. And of course he's in the Bronx and he's getting terrorized by a local gang yeah. uh, who they end up you know joining forces with at the end of it. But the fight scenes in this movie are some of the best fight scenes I've ever seen, mm-hmm. just because they're so hyper-realistic, they're so choreographed, they're so natural. One of the worst things that ever happened was when Hollywood got a hold of Jackie Chan, don't yeah. you think? Because yeah. he came over here and made, um, I think Shanghai Noon is okay, and mm. the first rush hour is okay, but you know he made that tuxedo movie. Mm. He made, I could probably rattle off, not the name of, but the plot of, because I don't remember the names, but he made a bunch of movies that were they just they took away what was uniquely him, and they gave it this Hollywood gloss and added high high power co stars. Yeah, yeah. took from, away what was charming about him. Yeah. From what I understand, I, and I don't know if this is completely one hundred percent true, but back in you know Hong Kong, he was able to do these movies and just do all the stunts, no problem. Once he became came over to America, the insurance right. involved with uh, you know doing the his own stunts and all of that. Uh, went by the wayside so it yeah, started it being sense. where it, movies weren't shot with you know him doing all the stuff and doing all this great choreography and everything it was a lot of this hyper edited nonsense mm-hmm. that we're seeing um, and so that's what a lot happened to some of these movies um, you know the, the translation over to America I think it happened with John Woo as well mm-hmm. um, when they go over they come over here there's a just a completely different set of rules you can't do what you used to yeah. be able to now some of that is those some of those things are good things you want to have <laughs> you don't want anyone to die you don't want anybody to die <laughs> but you know these are people you know like when they're shooting movies in their own countries, don't even think about this type of thing. Right. They're like, I'm willing to do this. This is art. This is how I'm going to do this shit. You mm-hmm. know, that scene in rumble in the Bronx with the refrigerator is, is so good, man. <laughs> it still holds up all these years. And the movie is very dated, especially with the American actors. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, the street thugs and everything, but like every time, man, every time that whole warehouse scene with the refrigerators and with the, that's the first time that you see him kind of do his little stepladder thing up the, the corner of the wall yeah. and everything. Mm-hmm. God damn, it's so good. Well, mm-hmm. you can go back, and I did this, uh, and watch almost anything he made in that era. Yep. And, you know, even if it's dated or the plot isn't as good, the action is always inventive and super fun. Um, you're always going to have a good time watching mm-hmm. some classic Jackie Chan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and I also love that he, for the most part, most of those movies before he kind of got Americanized would do... 
long outtakes packages yeah. of all the times he hurt himself. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, just hammers home the realism of what you're seeing. It's like Tom Cruise ain't got nothing on Jackie Chan. Yeah, because he actually broke his ankle in one of the stunts. Oh, yeah, in dude. Rumble he in got the hurt a ton of times. Yeah. He got hurt a lot. But. <laughs> Poor guy. I think he he started his movie career by being one of the many random assholes Bruce Lee dispatches yep. of in Enter the Dragon. Yep. In that scene where he's in the fortress and like a billion guys are going, one of them's Jackie Chan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can find <laughs> it on YouTube. It's like the Jackie Chan Bruce Lee fight. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, on my underseen, I'm going to come up with a title that I'm I'm pretty sure none of you have heard of. Mm-hmm. Some some people listening have probably heard of it, but uh, it's called Why Don't You Play in Hell? Wow. All okay. right. Um, it's definitely underseen. I have not heard of it. <laughs> um, it is a movie about... Now, I don't remember everything about this or anything. I haven't seen it since, and it took me a while. Because the other day, I was like, what was that movie where this happened and that happened? <laughs> and it was impossible to Google. I finally got it. <laughs> I finally got it with just the right keywords. Uh, but uh, it is a movie about... It, there's there's Yakuza in there and all this other type of stuff. And there is a film crew. And the film crew wants to shoot a movie... And I think it has something to do with the Yakuza, like one of the, like, like the crime boss or something like that. He wants that crew to shoot them actually doing the stuff that they do. Oh, wow. So like, there's all these action scenes where the film crew is like coming in and it's like actual murders and, (laughs) and stuff like that. And it's like just a daffy fucking like hour where it's just all in one building and they're just setting up shots and like people are getting killed and all sort of type of stuff. And it becomes to where like the difference between the, the filming and the action are, there's really not much difference anymore. You know, everybody's getting involved in it. Everybody's just like enjoying filming this and everything, but they're getting in these dangerous situations where they could get shot and everything. Um, it's just a very unusual movie. Now, I remember it getting somewhat middling reviews, actually, when it came out. Uh, but I believe it's got like a seven something on IMDb. So it's got a little bit of a following. Hmm. And I remember watching it and going, you know what? Maybe not the most successful movie of all time. But man, what an interesting premise this is to have crazy. to have a, a movie about making movies but with the Yakuza in it. Yeah. You know, and and they're just doing all this gangster shit in front of the cam- cameras to make a movie. It's actually in Japanese? Yeah. Oh, wow, man. Awesome. I totally want to set up. That's so, yeah, take a, take a look at it. When I'm, I'm going to try to find it. My, actually, last night I wanted to watch it just to get a better review of it. And I think I I could have I mean I I just couldn't find I couldn't find it for free. <laughs> I, I, like, I I would spend the money, but I just didn't want to spend the money for something that I might have fallen asleep on like late at night or something. So, um. So, uh, but uh, yeah, I couldn't find it for free, but I could find it. You can find it, I believe, on like um, you know, like whatever. You can find it on some streaming services. Hmm. Well, my underseen is only underseen because it's old, mm-hmm. and. People my age and older have probably seen it, and you're going to be rolling your eyes. Oh, it's not underseen. It was a massive hit. They spawned a sequel. Um, but anyone 40 and under has probably not seen this movie, and that's Romancing the Stone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. I watched the shit out of this movie. <laughs> no, I did, too, because it was, in my parents' view, clean. What? Well, because we were watching the TV-edited version. Oh, oh okay. Okay. Um, so this is Michael Douglas, Kathleen Turner, and Danny DeVito <laughs> in a zany-ass movie where... <laughs> 
Kathleen Turner's a novelist, a famous novelist. She's gone down to South American jungle to find her sister who's disappeared. And Michael Douglas is this American guy who's just down there and just knows a lot of shit about the locals. He's basically like a comedic version of Leo in Blood Diamond. (laughs) You know what I mean? He's like a scoundrel and a thief. And he doesn't want anything to do with her, but she's trying to pay him to take her to this place where she might find her sister. They end up with a little bit of a bad Santa vibe between them. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Had to squeeze that in. (laughs) This is young Michael Douglas. Like, if you know Michael Douglas from the Wall Street sequel and beyond, uh, (laughs) this is heartthrob Michael Douglas. Mm -hmm. Um, He was... He was the man back then. Yeah, man. The sequel, Jewel of the Nile, not quite as good, but some of the same fun. This came on, the only reason I even thought to bring this up was that this came on a couple weeks ago. I remember talking to Chris about it when I was here to do a podcast, and I hadn't seen it since I was 15. Mm -hmm. It doesn't hold up all that well, um, but it's still, you can see the charm, a lot of the laughs still land. Um, It's like a romantic, comedic Indiana Jones knockoff. Yeah, like basically. Alan Quartermain. You remember Alan Quartermain? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, that that kind of thing. Anyway, I really I really enjoy that movie, even if it's a little dated, and I bet you most of you listening have not seen it. Just a year before Robert Zemeckis did Back to the Future, he did this movie. Oh, that was Zemeckis? Zemeckis. Bobby Z? Bobby Z. Bobby wow. Z. Um, yeah, Romancing the Stone, another one of those movies. And of course, I mean, look, 1984, man. I was seven. Like everything that came on HBO, I guess in 1985, I watched the shit out of it. And mm. *Romancing the Stone* was one that always like in heavy rotation. Yep. Um, and uh, I watched the hell out of that movie. They later on made *War of the Roses* together. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Three I of like those actors. All, yeah, yeah. Devito was in De- that too, right? Devito directed it too. Oh yeah. Um, but I like that uh, movie. yeah, yeah. It's a really it's a dark comedy yes it is <laughs> um but yeah romancing the stones got a lot of the fun indiana jones stuff in it you've got the locales you got the you know the they're just looking for this gem this like ruby what is it a ruby or is it it's, an emerald it's em- emerald yeah um and uh and you've got bad guys coming after it and everything it's just you know well just well done that ending is goofy as shit man because he's got the diamond the the, the rock and they're all surrounded by the bad guys and he drops it down his pocket onto his shoe mm-hmm. and kicks it. It's about to go in the water and you see the bad guy, the main bad guy's hand come out and catch it right before it goes in the water. And then a giant crocodile comes yeah. up and bites his arm off. Oh, yeah. And so as Kathleen Turner's moving away, basically Michael Douglas jumps in the water. Like, I'm going after this thing. And the next time we see him, we're back in New York City. He's parked this giant boat he bought. Um and she walks out and looks up, and the first thing you see is the fucking crocodile boots. Yeah. <laughs> this guy found the crocodile, skinned it, got his emerald back. Um, it's goofy at the end, but I, I really enjoyed rewatching it. Nice. All right. Re- so underrated? underrated? Yeah, underrated. Underrated. All right. I saw this recently, and I think it's probably just underrated maybe in this room. But the first half of the Charlie's Angels movie, Oh boy, mm. is underrated in my opinion. Mm. Uh, now it falls the fuck apart. Um, the Sam Rockwell character actually gets more interesting as it goes on, but the rest of the movie falls apart. But the first half of this man is really enjoyable, and it's because of the people that are involved with it. They're not. They're obviously not taking it seriously. Bill Murray, Tim Curry, the the three leads: Drew Barrymore, Cameron uh, Diaz, and uh, Lucy Liu. And of course, there's the Tom Green scene in there too, because it was the early two thousands. Crispin Glover is in this. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of really good. Luke Wilson is in it. The talent, like, elevates this silly material. 
and it's better than I remembered it being for sure. Well, I saw it the one time, um, and that pretty much cemented my opinion of McG. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, I never saw it again, although um, Bill Murray famously didn't get along with all those girls. I think it was mostly Lucy Liu oh, yeah? that he butted heads with. It's funny because he actually, when he gets on the couch and they all like kind of gather around him, Lucy Liu is always like in the corner, or, like on the other side of the room or something like that. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> anyway, I hate this movie. Uh, you know, it might be underrated. But uh, it's enjoyable. In man. my mind, it is properly rated as a piece of shit. Man, Everybody's having a good time. I haven't. I have not seen it since it came out. Uh, I remember, as far as just nutty nutball comedy uh, movies go, I, I enjoyed Full Throttle better. Oh, really? Just because it was it was way more insane and stupid. Yeah, and it was it was truly going for that and everything. <laughs> and to me, more is is just ridiculous. Yeah, in it. yeah. Um. Uh. But I don't remember. I can't really come back and say, "Man, you're right about that," or "Oh, you're so wrong," because I haven't seen it since the year 2000. <laughs> if it comes on, yeah, if it comes on and it's in the first half, you get some surprise Tim Curry. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Best, that's the best Tim Curry. <laughs> exactly. That's right. Um, and it's you know you even get some surprise Matt LeBlanc. Yeah, well, you know, I, I could take or leave that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but it's 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 enjoyable. Okay. All yeah. right. Well, I'll take your word for it. Mm-hmm. Um. And and that's what the point of these underrated ones are, right? We're not coming up with stuff that's so good no, because yeah. because if it if it was, then it'd be in our favorites or best or anything like that. Uh, going along those lines, Kung Pao Enter the Fist is my <laughs> underrated, and this movie is going to annoy a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. And it should annoy me when I watch it. Actually, there are parts that are annoying to me when I watch this. But man, it's, you know, if you're familiar with Woody Allen's What's Up Tiger Lily, where Mm. he takes an existing movie and then just dubs a whole bunch of stuff over it, his own story and everything. They do the same thing here, only with like a 1970s martial arts picture or whatever. And uh, Steve Odekirk, who was a, a big, like, comedy guy back in the 90s and everything, did this, like, sort of a tour de force where he was directing, wrote, starred in yeah. this, you know, Enter the Fist. And it's just, it's it's silly as fuck. All the dubbing and everything is silly as fuck. Like, they got the one character where he just, all he does is put that, that's all she ever does and and it gets really fucking annoying after like the 15th time it happens but there's so many just silly things in it it's so silly like just uh there's a lot of mystery science theater 3000 in this too yeah yeah it's it's just dubbing in those little little things that are are funny (laughs) yeah yeah exactly And 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 it's never like a complete like oh what a great movie or yeah, anything yeah but i'll tell you what if there was any movie that i could really get behind taking your brain out and just watching it it's this one yeah. like the you know a lot of the times i feel like that's just misappropriated to movies that you know shouldn't get that kind of uh you know leeway mm-hmm. this one should yeah all right so uh, underrated is a really fun category because i think it ultimately ends up being uh the most freeing mm-hmm. um so I just want to talk about scores here, and this this is why I chose the one I chose. I almost went with Lockup, which I mentioned last week. <laughs> Guy <laughs> Pierce, Maggie Grace. Let's get the ex-con or the con to go on the rescue mission to the space prison and save the president's daughter. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's pretty bad. Uh, I love it. 
but it's 38 on Rotten Tomatoes. 38%. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Just keep that in mind. I almost went with The Last Action Hero. Yeah, yep. Because even while uh. a lot of people think that movie's comedy doesn't hit, I really enjoy that movie. Well, really? and, and it's interesting. Last Action Hero has started to get a little bit of um, sort of the tide turned on it. Uh, people looking at it a different way than it was back in 93. Now, I have not personally gone back to look at it to see if this this new way of looking at it is going to make me enjoy it or not. But you have to consider John McTiernan and Shane Black wrote the screenplay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of the things that people are pointing out is it's pointing out the the uh i guess the fakeness of the real world like the the movie world is the is the sort of the real world and the real world is the fake world or whatever it's i kinda, wonder if schwarzenegger knew that i doubt it i don't think so i don't I think there's any conversation you think would go easily <laughs> well and yeah i i highly i highly doubt it but last action hero of course uh you know we early in the podcast uh we used to talk about the, the book hit and run mm-hmm. which is about sony and everything and like how you know you had two guys who ran the company who just spent all the money in the world for stupid shit and uh one of them was you know shooting that rocket in the space for last action hero they started giving people like ridiculous salaries this was the beginning of the 20 million dollar like yeah. salary for a, for an actor and they did it with Stallone, Schwarzenegger, and Willis. And Hudson Hawk was another one, by the way, mm-hmm. could probably fit under a lot of people's underrated comedies, mm-hmm. uh, action comedies. Anyway. Um, All right. So Last Action Hero, 37% on mm-hmm. Rotten Tomatoes. All right. I'm going to I'm gonna call a movie underrated that is 14% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> nice. Because I have a hard time believing any movie is that bad. <laughs> and it's Beverly Hills Ninja. Mm. <laughs> now, <clears throat> before you go into the your defense of Beverly Hills Ninja here, I have not seen this movie since it came out, uh-huh. which I believe was 98. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and I don't remember liking it at all. No, it's it's terrible. Okay. It's terrible. But and And I think I saw it a few months ago. And I think a lot of what's making me choose that for my underrated is maybe some Chris Farley nostalgia mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we're so starved of his comedy in this current landscape. And, you know, I wish he could still be with us. It's terrible, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's, it's not 14%. Mm-hmm. My God, <laughs> what the hell? What? How? You had a Chris Rock cameo in there yep. too, right? Chris yeah, Rock's in it. It's, it's bad. It's really bad. There's just, it's basically just Chris Farley half-assing through some physical comedy, but I don't know. I was laughing. I it was seemed laughing. like a like a mashup of Kung Fu Panda and Tommy Boy to me. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah, basically. He's it's, a fish out of water kind of thing. Yeah, fish out of water. He, he's it's Chris Farley. Yeah. He's not gonna. He's not a ninja. No matter what he does, he's <laughs> not gonna the ninja. Joke. <laughs> well, it's that's what later would be the joke of Kung Fu Panda. Yeah. With, you know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's my underrated. So stick it. Just for accuracy, accuracy sake, it came out in '97. But oh, uh, really? Um, I remember this was also. I think this was this was a year or two before he died, mm-hmm. uh, because the the movies that came out after Beverly Hills Ninja were the ones where they had not even finished them. I don't think like uh, Almost Heroes mm-hmm. um, and uh, stuff like that. So, but uh, that now that that's is a bad. That's movie. a very bad. That movie. deserves to be fourteen percent on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> yeah, I think Beverly Hills Ninja is, is way better. Yeah. <laughs> way way better any honorable mentions well uh stuff that we didn't we we sort of glossed over beverly hills cop but mm-hmm. it should i put it in my best category and and 
and really I put it in, it's not a movie that really holds up. Mm -hmm. Like it's not one of those where you watch it and you're like, Oh man, man. And and in fact, you know, Eddie Murphy's comedy back in the eighties, not exactly something that like holds up all the time, Mm -hmm. but man, he's hilarious in that movie. Um, and, uh, and it's, it's a, it's just a weird plot. He's a Detroit cop who follows along, follows this trail to Beverly Hills and basically doing a whole bunch of illegal shit to, uh, to, to get this one guy and everything. And of course we're rooting him on and everything (laughs) was a Stallone vehicle before it was an Eddie Murphy vehicle. And it was a completely different movie, obviously, obviously. Um, uh, but, uh, if you look at Beverly Hills Cop, it's a it's a good nostalgia piece. Addie Murphy is at his best in that movie. So wasn't he pretty young when he did that? Yeah, he's probably like 23, 24, nice. somewhere around there. Because I know Trading Places, he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was. It was the year before was Trading Places. So mm. um, I know he was like in his early twenties when that came out. Big Trouble, Little China. Uh, I, I that's a great one. That's a good one to mention. I just want to throw it out. I, would you put that underrated or? Or it's f- probably underseen at this point because it's so old. Yeah. You're going to remake this shit with The Rock. Yeah. Uh, man, Kurt Russell and John Carpenter were a great combination. Yep. Um, and, uh, and I, and I love big trouble in little China. It's a, it's a silly movie. Oh, obviously. it's silly as hell. Super silly. Uh, uh, it's their silliest one. Uh, the thing is their, I think their best collaboration. Mm-hmm. And then you have escape from New York, which is you could debate whether that's a comedy or not. Escape from LA certainly oh, tried yeah. to be. Yeah, yeah, Um, but, uh, <laughs> escape from LA though, has that basketball scene. <laughs> <laughs> it's what I'll hold on to with that movie. Um, but, uh, yeah, big trouble in little China is a, is a good one. It's a, and it came out the same year as the golden child, which was, had the similar themes yeah. and everything. And, yeah. Uh, Eddie Murphy's first PG 13 movie didn't go over well, no. <laughs> um, back then. Um, you mentioned, I believe in your favorites, 21 jump street. Yep. I mentioned 22 jump street, which you don't like as much as I do or don't like at all. Right. Um, uh, but I, I, I enjoy both of them. What do you like so much about the 22 jump? Street? I, I love the, I love the whole like self-awareness of that movie. Yeah. I love it. Those characters are great, like the twins and like the Jillian. Uh, is it Jillian Bell? Uh, yeah, Jillian Bell. Yeah, like she's hilarious. In yeah, that. she's the, hilarious. The little bits fit all together. Uh, I I do I do like them making fun of how all this is the same as the first one. They make all these inside jokes about like getting Kate Blanchett, but she's too expensive. <laughs> um, uh, like uh, the the whole thing too, where Channing Tatum meets his like uh muscle bound friend or whatever mm-hmm. his like athlete friend yeah. or whatever and and there and it was something about meat and cute and they somehow managed it's kind of a meat meat cute but they're not <laughs> thinking of it in in terms of a movie um it's it, the whole time i'm just i i just love that self-awareness all the way through mm. it now i love 21 jump street too the, i like that one that just one just came out of nowhere mm-hmm. man i love all the surprises in that movie Channing tatum being a comedic star yeah Lord and Miller being amazing comedic directors, taking a semi-serious 80s drama and making it into this hilarious movie, making Jonah Hill, you know, really a leading man. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, oh, man, that one, that one just Make kills no me. mistake, the original show was serious as fuck. Yeah. 
it may have been a ludicrous premise, but they were not playing anything for comedy. No, there was no a a couple Peter Deluise moments maybe played for laughs. But Mm. that show was taking itself serious. The world that show was in was real to those people. Um, I love the first one. Don't like the second one quite as much. But that that final sight gag with all the sequels. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Seth Rogen is randomly in there yeah. instead of Jonah Hill, and then back to Jonah Hill. Like, the they go one. to medical school, <laughs> they, they go to culinary school. Culinary school. <laughs> I mean, that is, it is a, the whole, I, it's worth watching that movie, even though I don't like uh, it as much, just for that payoff. Apparently, like, that's they consider that canon like if yeah. they make the other movies they're gonna be those movies oh really yeah oh, in fact what i what i think what i read was if they make another movie all those other movies will have already happened oh okay <laughs> nice and so they'll probably make references to and this was because, actually when they were planning to cross over men in black and 21 Jump oh, Street, yeah, which yeah. they're now scrapping i think but that's when i read that was, oh okay. was that all all of those sequels are, are canon within the world of this universe of this movie hmm and I and, and in Twenty One Jump Street, where Channing Tatum goes to that chalkboard thing and and ends up with a "fuck you" science. That's yeah. <laughs> that's always funny to me. Um, I do love the. I think it's the opening scene in Twenty Two Jump Street where they're trying to be these Hispanic gangsters. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Jonah Hill's accent just no, it's uh, a Channing Tatum's, Channing Tatum's accent. accent yeah. is fucking great. Yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, the other one that I mentioned under favorites is Midnight Run. Oh yeah, oh Groden. Yeah, Charles Groden is great in that. He's great and, in everything. And uh, and De Niro, De Niro is in his first comedy, although he's not really being funny in mm-hmm. it. Most of his most of him is just being exasperated at Charles Groden because Charles Groden is just a he's such a dick in this movie. What is the I haven't seen that in forever. Like he's the he's a bounty hunter. Yeah, right? yeah. And they've tried to copy this a few times in recent years, but yeah, De Niro's got to take him cross country. Mm. And um, and there's all these people who want like the gangsters want him, want Charles Grodin. The cops want him, all this. And mm-hmm. and, and and there's just it's kind of like planes, trains and automobiles where things just keep fucking happening. And oh, they can't, yeah. He can't deliver him straight to where he needs to deliver him and everything. Uh, it's also one of the I think it's one of the all time uh, like fuck leaders as far as like oh, yeah. how many fucks are said in, in the movie. Oh, yeah. I think like you're right. Everyone like every scene is just littered with them. <laughs> all time fuck leaders. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I thought that was Will Chamberlain. I, I always wanted to. Oh, God, that's uh, better. Your joke is better. I'm just going to stop. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then, uh, on, uh, my under scene, I also wanted to mention shoot em up. I had talked about that earlier. I really like shoot em up. I do. You, when you mentioned it, uh, I like all these fond memories came back to me. That was the last movie that I really enjoyed that just completely abandoned any pretense. It's, it's very much like crank mm-hmm. any pretense of like, here's the world that we're in. We're going to go for it. You're going to follow along. Or you're going to fucking hate it. Yeah. And we don't care. Oh, and, and you bring up another one. Those crank movies are not serious movies yeah. i mean those those are generally comedy yeah, so yeah. i mean those could fit in this as well but uh, shoot them up i haven't seen it in a while but obviously very inspired by looney tunes and everything mm-hmm. and you can see sort of a theme running through a lot of the ones that i wrote down there's a looney tunes type of uh, thing going on with a lot of these mm-hmm. when you can do that in action comedies it's generally yeah. you know generally fun so uh speaking of uh comedy we're going to talk about comedic moments in dramatic movies I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. That's so funny. That's so funny. Well, I don't know what I expected. <laughs> yeah. Comedic moments in serious movies. Yeah, this is fun. Bum, bum, um, bum. 
<laughs> now, how would you define this? Would you say supposed to be funny or accidentally funny? I think it could be either. Mm-hmm. I, what I was going for was things that make you laugh. Mm-hmm. So it could it could absolutely be either. So like the Godfather 3 silent scream? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that would fit. I didn't write that down there's, for There's kind answer, of like, but. well, I'll, I'll give you an example. And this is this is actually my pick. A moment where it's almost that they know it's it's comedic or it's lighthearted or something like that, and you get to go along with it. Mm-hmm. And my perfect pick for this, every time I watch The Godfather, I know I talk about The Godfather all the time, but there's this the the lovely scene when they're at the wedding and Johnny Fontaine comes in. Mm-hmm. And he's the Frank Sinatra type of uh, clone, and he gives him Don Corleone the sob story about this director that won't or this producer that won't give him the part and everything because he's bespoiled this this girl that was coming up in the industry, and you know he's perfect for it. He doesn't even have to act and everything, and there's a great comedic moment. That everybody points to is that you can act like a man, you know. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's shaking yeah. him, and what, what is this? You cry, he smacks him in the face, <laughs> and, and it's great. It's a great moment. You see Tom Hagen kind of laughing on the side, uh, but there's it, when it follows up, you go through, and he's like, you know, here's what we're gonna do. We'll take care of all this business. You go out and you you enjoy the party. Don't worry about this this big shot. We'll take care of it. And then as he's leaving the room, Johnny Fontaine's like, "Thank you, Godfather, everything," and he's leaving the room. And uh, Vito Corleone looks at him and then like he starts to close the door. Then he opens it again. He makes sure he's, he's gone. And then he closes the door and he has this look to the camera like, God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> he, he takes a sigh and he's, like, he rolls his eyes almost like, look at all this bullshit that I have to deal with. It's, it's a split second. It's one of my favorite parts of that movie. The, it, uh, that movie opens so greatly, though, because it's... Uh, yeah, he can't deny anything, any any sort of request on his daughter's wedding day and everything. And and then, of course, everybody's like coming out with their yeah. shit. And you have the one guy, you know, I, I love that scene where he's like talking about like, it's like the entire time, you know, me, you know, me, you've never come and asked for my help or anything. You like you didn't even know me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and now you're here. You're asking for my help and yeah. everything. And, and and yeah, I mean, that's probably he had to deal with that several times during that day or whatever oh yeah know? almost everybody is like why why can't i come in like you've never invited me over for a cup of coffee like, yeah. yeah come on yeah <laughs> um i'm gonna jump in with one if you don't mind go for it uh the movie lincoln mm. which is not the kind of movie that i'm likely to watch over and over again mm-hmm. for a bunch of different reasons but daniel day lewis is so fantastic in it and he's now announced his freaking retirement i know it sucks um and and he's he's captivating the entire movie. There's several beats where he's telling stories, and the, the act, other characters are captivated by him. He's highly intelligent. Um, he spends most of the movie arguing with people and trying to convince people to think his way. And there's a there's a moment where he breaks and decides to basically you know buy some votes to make sure he can get this bill passed. And he uses James Spader and a couple other seedy characters uh, to go put some pressure on the right senators and. Um, congressman and whatnot and he's he's trying to set up his request uh by saying up in pennsylvania there's a seat with such and such that needs to be filled with and and spader cuts him off and even though he's like this low-life thug he knows exactly what lincoln's talking about (laughs) and there's this line and it's partly the line and partly daniel day lewis's delivery and he just kind of sits back and goes, oh, what a joy to be comprehended. <laughs> because you imagine he spent so much of his life not being comprehended yeah, yeah, because yeah. his ideas are bigger than those 
of the people around him. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that was on the other day, and that scene came on. I've forgotten all about that moment, and I, I laughed out loud at that. I just <laughs> thought, God, how, how frustrating must it be, you know? And, the, and then out of, in the most unlikeliest of places, here's this guy who knows exactly what you know special state senate seat race you're talking about. Anyway, I just know that part. Um, are you guys familiar with the Seven Samurai? Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Um, we've got we've we've done some uh, Asian heavy cinema today. Yeah, we have. Um, the Seven Samurai. There's a part in there where one of the guys his name's like Kyuzo or so, I don't know how it's pronounced or anything. It's K Y U Z O. Um, there's a you know they're they're trying to uh, kill these bandits and they know that they have to get rid of the guns that these bandits have or else they won't have any real chance because they're samurai or whatever. Uh, and there's a point where this Kuzo guy decides I'm going to, I'm going to go into the town and, and he's gone all night and everybody's just kind of like, you know, well, and I hope he didn't die basically, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so then it's like the next morning and he's like just strolling down the path and everything. And he comes over and he hands one of the, he hands one of the bandits shotguns to a guy and he's like, and it just says simply killed two. awesome i love that part i'm gonna go with a recent example so manchester by the sea is a heavy fucking movie (laughs) (laughs) yes it is i mean like from start to finish it's not gonna make you smile very often Mm -hmm. so lucas hedges is plays the uh, son of the uh, character that dies and casey affleck is his uncle and casey affleck is completely out of his depth he um he doesn't know what to do with this 16-year-old kid who's bright and accomplished and things like that, and who has handled this whole tragedy surprisingly well. I mean, he's been sad, and he's been, you know, at least conversational. He's just like, you know, how, how am I going to get through this? Of course, he has a couple of girlfriends that he goes to and, and things like that. But at one point, um, Casey Affleck's character is in, in his bedroom, and he hears this... this downstairs and he comes running down he's like what's what's the problem and uh lucas hages he's trying to get this frozen chicken or turkey into the freezer that everybody's brought over food because his his dad just died and he can't get it in there and he finally all this emotion just comes out and he starts just freaking out and just wailing on this freezer Mm -hmm. and casey half like this is like is it the chicken? What is it? He's <laughs> <laughs> like, no, it's not the fucking chicken. <laughs> and it's like the only spot in that entire movie where I just like, you know, you, like, oh, okay. It's cathartic, but it's funny. Too. Yeah. Well, see, I think really heavy movies need that. Yeah. And, yeah. and savvy directors will will put, will put give you that moment, right? Because mm-hmm. my, my second example is Dead Man Walking, mm-hmm. which is a heavy ass fucking movie. Yeah. Um, you know, you. Basically, Sean Penn is on death row for killing these two kids. He has yet to admit he did it, but he's been convicted and sentenced to die. And then you have this nun that's coming to visit him and basically trying to save his soul and at least get him to confess or have a confession. It's a very deep, deep, heavy movie. I probably have only seen it the one time. Uh, But there's this bright moment of levity in the middle where she and I think the priest she works with are driving down the road. And the camera cuts to the roadside as they go by, and there's a hand-painted sign sitting out that says, Have Many Rabbit, singular. (laughs) That would be pretty funny in Uh and of itself. But the movie has the priest guy drive and go, Have Many Rabbit. And then there's this pause. (laughs) like He's just kind of reading what he just saw and saying it aloud. Then he goes on. 
I suppose he's bragging. And they just have this basically they they break down this misspelled typo hand painted sign and it just it lets you laugh and laugh and let out a lot of that tension that you built up from the first part of the movie and before you go into the dark second part of the movie. Anyway, that has stuck with me. I laughed so hard at that. I have remembered that. I only saw the movie the one time. I think Tim Robbins directed that. He did. Yeah. Have good, me fl- good flick, but hard to watch. That's funny. Um, all right. So in Heat, there's a point where uh, Al Pacino they need they need to interview the Hank Azaria character because he's been sleeping with the Ashley Judd character, mm-hmm. and she's married to the Val Kilmer character. And um, and so there's a point where they they sort of just bust into his office and everything, and they just just corner him in there and everything, and uh, and so. So he Pacino basically threatens Hank Azario by saying, you know, we've got you on this beef from a few years ago or whatever. Uh, so you better start talking about this and everything. And there's a point where Hank Azario is just like, it's like, why did I even get involved with that bitch or whatever? And Al Pacino's like, because she's got a great ass <laughs> and you've got your head stuck all the way up in it. And uh <laughs> There's a point that what's so great about it is that it looks like Pacino's about to say big ass uh-huh. <laughs> and his his mouth forms like completely goes down to the and then he goes great ass. <laughs> it's like all during that scene, too. There's the point where, you know, he's like uh, where they're like, uh, so, you know, Charlene Shaherless or whatever. And he goes, who? And he goes, who? Who? We a fucking owl. Pacino is kind of funny, actually, in that movie in he general. Is. Yeah. Um. It the movie is just. I mean, it, of course, Heat is great, and I think it's being recognized as a classic these days. Mm-hmm. Uh. It's it's got a lot of long, slow moments and a lot of deep, serious type of things, but Pacino obviously going just going for it in a lot of scenes i mean like uh like when he finds out that his wife's banging some other dude and everything and he's like it's like let me tell you something you can ball my wife if you want to but you cannot have my fucking television (laughs) 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 stuff like that he's just and uh and i don't this is just just right amount of Pacino being mm-hmm. devil's advocate type of Pacino. Yeah. Well, um, you can actually, he mutes it a little bit. Like in that stakeout scene mm-hmm. where uh, they they stop, where De Niro yeah. and Kilmer stop. And then oh, they, it's they such come a out. great scene. It is a such a great scene, man. And you can see this bubbling over. He can tell that the guy tipped him off and everything, yeah. but it just doesn't come out. Yeah. And then, you know, when it goes to, I think right after that, he... They go out and, and they're scoping out the the area and the the warehouses and the, all that stuff, and they go out and they're like, "Oh, we just been made, fellas." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and he's smile just, real big, fellas. Yeah. We just been made. Oh my god! Like he he just he rides you right right on that line. It's yeah. perfect. Yeah. You know what they're looking at? Us. <laughs> The LAPD. <laughs> and then he's and out yeah. there like, hey! yeah. And, and they can, are watching. Yeah, yeah, you, can yeah, see awesome. De, you can see De Niro, like, just, like, like camped out on a thing yeah. and, like, taking pictures and everything. Oh, it's great. Uh, it's such a good movie. It is. Do we have more? Or are we moving on to questions? I've got some more. Do you got, guys have some I've more? I've got one more. I've got one more. All right. Well, mine is uh, for A Few Good Men. So A Few Good Men, rapid fire delivery, a little bit of humor, a little bit of humor that's like, doesn't land all the time. Most of that is from Tom Cruise. 
Um, some of that is from me more too. Mm-hmm. Um, is this a date? Like, uh, you ask me out for a date? Mm-hmm. I've been asked for a date before, and this is what it sounds like. <laughs> um, but uh, no, when they go to um, when they go to Cuba for the first time to interview Jack Nicholson, and the night before he's walking home with uh, Sam Weinberg, and he, you know, right as he's leaving, he's like, you know, don't forget to to dress in the whites. Very hot down there in Cuba. He's like, I hate the whites. He's like, everybody hates the whites. That's why nobody wears them. You gotta wear them in Cuba. It's hot. And then he, uh, when they get down there, and of course, uh, Demi Moore's in her, you know, khakis and everything. And Noah Wiley picks him up. And he's like, there's, uh, you know, a few jackets in the back. You can pick them up. And he's like, why? He's like, the Cubans see an officer or person in white. It seems like somebody they want to take a shot at. <laughs> Chris is like, good call, Sam. And he just throws it up. <laughs> good call, Sam. <laughs> it's one of the funniest beats in that whole movie. Yeah. And that movie has a lot of funny parts. Yeah. Uh, but that's, that's I, I always look forward to that particular moment. Mm-hmm. The addition of Kevin Pollack in that movie was a great choice. Well, and, and he's played so seriously. He gets a couple of wry, sarcastic, you know, I have absolutely no responsibilities here whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. but for the most part, he's a he's a more of a dramatic character, mm-hmm. and Tom Cruise does more of the showy, the get drunk, the imp- impression of Jack Nicholson, and all yeah. that stuff. But Kevin Pollock is an, a comedian at heart. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's yeah, he's really great in this um, as a character and an actor. I think it's the perfect role. Mm-hmm. I love that scene when Tom Cruise is just dejected and drunk as fuck, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Is your father proud of you?" And he's like, don't do this to yeah. yourself, Dad. Don't do this. Uh, it's just a great little touching scene where he basically says, you know, if I had to choose between Lionel Caffey, which is Tom Cruise's dad, and mm-hmm. you, uh, I'd choose you every day, every day of the week and twice on Sunday, which is the first time I had ever heard that expression. Oh, yeah? And it has long since been just acclimated into my vernacular. I say that regularly. Every day of the week and twice on Sunday. You should have seen yourself thundering away at Kendrick. Yeah, such a great scene, man. Such a great scene. Good, good choice. Um, I'm going to go with the professional. Um, ah, nice. Or Leon, 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 um, which does again have several comedic moments uh, scattered throughout. But the one that always makes me giggle is at the very end when he's almost made it out, and he basically using a. A trope we've seen in a lot of movies in the last 20 or 30 years where you basically you got to get out and the cops are there. So you put on the uniform of a cop to yeah. blend in and sneak out like they do that in the town. And anyway, um, he's almost at the front door and Gary Oldman has figured it out and is behind him and shoots him. Mm-hmm. And Leon, Leon, he falls <laughs> and Gary Oldman comes over to taunt him. And basically he pulls Leon pulls a pin and a grenade. Uh, I think multiple pins because mm-hmm. he's got a vest yeah. with a bunch of grenades and puts it in Gary Oldman's hand and Gary Oldman looks down and realizes what it is and he just goes, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and then it cuts to outside and you see boom, yeah. this explosion. And I, I, I think that some characters, like I think there are people who would do that in real life. Like, you're not expecting to die. You think they have the upper hand, and right at the last minute, you realize you're the one that's going to die. I think it's perfectly in character for his his character to say, shit. Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to, like, screaming or something else. It's just this, like, subtle, understated. Ah, that fucked. is a funny scene. That is such a funny p- moment in that movie. It's it's not expected at all. No, no, no. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's expected that he's gonna die, obviously, but it's not expected that he's just like gonna take it so well. Uh, you know, maybe, a, maybe Luke Besson needs Gary Oldman to to maybe make his so. movies good. It could because be. all the best Luke Besson movies have Gary. Oldman. You mean all two of them? Yeah. 
Okay. That's basically <laughs> just yeah. making sure we weren't throwing yeah. too much praise. La Femme Nikita's good. Oh okay, yeah, yeah, well yeah. He's he had he had a really good like he started off very well, mm-hmm. and then like you know then Messenger Joan of Arc happened, mm-hmm. uh, and it's been downhill since then. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, and yeah, he's he gets credit for he likes doing that. A uh, director of Lucy on all this <laughs> stuff, and that movie's terrible. <laughs> yeah, but it, it made money. It made a lot of money. Yep. Um, I'm gonna go with Albert Brooks and Taxi Driver. Hmm. Um, he's probably the only comedic thing about taxi driver de niro has a couple of moments i Mm. guess in taxi driver but that movie's as dour and depressing as it gets um but albert brooks is obviously like a guy who works with sybil shepherd and he's got a crush on her and all that other type of stuff but there's a one just lone scene with albert brooks when he's on the phone and uh and he's talking to the people who made the buttons and the slogan is we are the people mm-hmm. and uh and uh, the apparently the people who made the buttons underlined the we in the we are the people mm-hmm. and so he's sitting there and he's like he's like yeah we were uh we ordered some buttons from you and uh and it says uh and uh the we wanted to have the r underlined so it says we are the people but you underline the we so that it says we are the people <laughs> and he's like he's like he's like well don't you see the difference and he's like let's not fight <laughs> <laughs> I love that line that he sticks in there. Let's not fight. And then he's and then he goes, uh, you know, he goes, um, well, let me tell you this. We don't pay for the buttons. We throw the buttons away and hangs up. You know, well, it wouldn't surprise me if something like that was ad-libbed considering yeah. Albert Brooks's comedy chops. He anyway. must have been young in that movie, right? Yeah, he was pretty young. Is he? I don't even remember. I would him imagine in that movie. he's probably in his uh, early thirties in that. Probably. Mm, yeah. Although, I have a really hard time when movies are older, like to to like figure out. Like last night, Shakespeare in Love was on, mm-hmm. and I was sitting there watching it, and I was like, Gwyneth Paltrow. Like, how old was she when she did Shakespeare in Love? Mm. And and I and I, I she'd been around for a while at that point. Seven was her big breakout movie, and mm-hmm. it had just three years prior and everything. So you think, yeah, she's probably close to 30. She's 26. Wow. Yeah. She's yeah, 23 too. and seven. Really? Yeah. That's more surprising. And 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 it, and every time there's like new castings and everything, you start thinking, well, that person's too young. Like, I remember one of the first time they, they said, uh, was it, who was, I guess it was Brandon Ralph for Superman Returns. Oh. Uh. I was like, oh, hey, that's just way too young or whatever. But he was the exact same age as Christopher Reeve was. Hmm. Christopher Reeve was 27 or 28 when he did Superman. And you just don't think of him as that young in that movie. I always thought Christopher Reeve was like in his 30s when he did the first Superman. Yeah, I guess. I mean, that that seems like the prime age for a Superman. Mm -hmm. That's the peak of of somebody's, I guess, awesomeness. Yeah, (laughs) it is the peak of awomeness in general. all the great rock and roll guys died at 27. <laughs> That's right. Um, but uh, looking up Albert Brooks right now, and he was born in 1947, so he was uh, he was 29 mm. when he was in Taxi Driver. Wow. Yeah, he's uh, he's working on the campaign. He's in he's in the headquarters mm-hmm. that, and you can see, there's a couple of scenes where like he's the one when she's looking out and uh, Sybil Shepherd's looking out and she goes, uh, "You see that guy out there?" And he's like, "What guy?" You know, and it's like that guy out there, you know, and it's, mm-hmm. it's that little banter between them. They're obviously friends, but mm-hmm. he's he's obviously like because Sybil Shepard's fucking hot. Yep. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, 
he wants he wants to be with her and then this asshole comes in and is like he's like he's like you want to go on a date with me because you are the most beautiful woman i've ever seen in my life you know and and like suddenly he gets a date with her immediately walking off the street can you imagine that was a great de niro impression you, did you see the eyes the eyes actually went yeah. the, the visuals are lacking for those of you at home the face matched the voice yeah so yeah albert brooks was 29 probably yeah, probably a little bit younger since the movie was filmed before it came out long and illustrious career yeah all right we're moving to questions let's do it yeah. question question i got something to say i want the truth i'm listening oh we got some good ones today baby all right don't so, call me baby all right hey guys first of all hey. love you guys and thanks for the entertainment you provide well i i think that's just the tops that's delightful yes with time increasingly getting smaller between the movie's release in theaters and its digital Blu-ray release, and with some independent releases even coming out on the same day digitally, what do you guys think the future of the theater industry looks like, and how can they stay appealing to people? Uh, I think that's a really interesting question. Well, you're seeing all kinds of experimentation. You're mm -hmm. seeing, you know, premiere seating with huge comfy chairs you're seeing waiters and waitresses you're seeing adults only shows where they have tables and wine service and strippers whatnot. strippers mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and you know i think some of that is going to help mm -hmm. uh but i i still think the main reason we go to the movies is that we can't recreate that experience at home um and this question this question made me want to talk about Sean Parker's new service he's trying to get off the ground. Sean Parker being Justin Timberlake in the social network, <laughs> the guy that started Napster yeah. and was an early investor in Facebook. Um, and he wants to allow films to be played at home to consumers within three days, no, 14 days of their opening, hmm. right after they open for 50 bucks. And then he's going to give, I think, more than half of that money to the theater that misses out on the customer huh and then the rest would go to like him his service and the studios uh now this is right up my alley mm -hmm. because uh the comfort of my own home trumps the big screen for me and mm -hmm. that's only because in the last few years i've had some anxiety stuff when i get around crowds and whatnot so it would be very awesome if i could pay 50 bucks in a week and a half and see spider-man homecoming on my own couch mm -hmm. uh, but for most people no matter how big your TV is, no matter what kind of sound system you've installed, it's not the same experience as going to see it on the big screen. And until that is no longer the case, uh, theaters will find a way to stay relevant. Because hmm. um, you know, we fucking love movies, man. Mm -hmm. Even the people who say that they can recreate it, like they have the money, they have you know all these amazing speakers, they're not the norm. Mm -hmm. And also, they tend to do it wrong because over the years working as a movie theater projectionist you had people who were always like well the surround sound's not working <laughs> surround sound's not working and you're like yeah you at home probably set it up so that when people are talking it comes out of your surround sound which is fucking wrong yeah yeah, yeah. dialogue's and, in the center track yeah it's in the center and that's it and yep. don't fucking worry about it but now you, you hooked it up so that it's like all oh, surround man i want to hear that surround all the time uh, that's a good point um so there were pe there's people who are out there who who think they can get that movie theater experience, and there's probably only a, like a less than a percent of people who can actually do it. Um, but my whole thing about whether what's the what's the fate of movie theaters is always concerned is is date night. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that there's a thing called Netflix and chill these days. <laughs> the kids are calling. The kids, man. Yeah. Um, but. 
you, you, most people when they're going out for the first time aren't going to be Netflixing and chilling. Right. Mm-hmm. Most people. There's mm-hmm. going to be a few out there that are like, all right, you know, let's just do this. But, mm-hmm. um, but you have to have that neutral place, right? You have to go where, you know, nobody has home field advantage, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like Seinfeld. That's right. List? <laughs> That's right. Well, and one of the reasons a movie has always been a good first date is that you, you don't have to carry conversation for two, two and a half hours, however long you're in the movie. Mm-hmm. You can both experience something together, but you don't have to have that those awkward pauses and mm-hmm. whatnot. Yeah. So, so I agree with you. I also wanted to add on to that. I know you're not done and I'm interrupting you. But mom's taking the families to the goddamn theater on the weekend it's to get out of the heat, mm-hmm. yeah. to get the kids out of the house. Why do you think movies like Secret Life of Pets or Trolls make any money at all? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nobody nobody in America's like, that looks awesome when they yeah. see the trolls. <laughs> They're just like, I've got a two-year-old and a five-year-old, and I've, I want peace and quiet and air conditioning for two hours. And I don't think that's going to go away anytime soon either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it, that's that's been my main argument, though, is about date night, because I think there will always be theaters. They just may not build them as much as they used to. And I'm not sure. I haven't looked at the statistics on this. I don't know if theater companies are still expanding as much as they have always done that. I know for I know for sure they're not going for those big multi twenty seven yeah. plexes anymore yeah. because uh, those are too expensive to run. Yeah, and and if they start not making money, then you know they're just a blight on your company and yeah. everything. Uh, but I, I I think they'll I think there'll always be movie theaters. You just may not have as many in the future mm-hmm. with all these options to go and and you know watch stuff through streaming and on your phone and all this other type of stuff. Of course, that's going to cut into you know. But you, going along with what you're saying, Jeremy, like you know the the theater experience for some of these movies. You know, you have to have that sometimes. Remember when we were in L.A. And we wanted to see a movie at the Chinese theater, mm-hmm. and Mad Max was opening that weekend. Yes, I can't fathom watching that on my TV for the first no. time. No, oh, that's because a good point. Yeah. the sound design in that film is immersive as fuck. And whatever the theater had going on with their particular mix was excellent. Yes, yeah, they had definitely <sighs> done their done mm. their homework. Uh, but it was an experience. Same thing with something like Gravity. Um, yeah, I can Gravity watch in it, particular. Yeah. I can watch it now on tv and remember the experience and how huge and how awesome the sound was and how good the 3d was but i i can't have that experience again uh, and the only place i could ever have gotten it was the theater again for now mm-hmm. um you know i know it's becoming more and more common for rich people to put home theaters in uh back when i worked for a web design firm we did a website for a guy who did that custom home theaters mm. uh, it was a big booming business uh with very huge screens and surround sound and all of that and maybe if we get to where that's adopted wholesale and is somehow cheap and everybody can do it, but even then, it's not the same. Yeah, it's, it's not almost the same like experience. What what I think the listener is getting at is a really good point about the the timing and the exclusivity of it, and that's something that could be subverted with this Sean Parker thing. Yeah, but it's why live sports are always going to have a, a place above you know streaming and all this stuff is because it's appointment viewing and whoever has that content has that content. The more that movie theaters have their new movies and it's not licensed out to, to a home service, then they're going to have a, a place in society. I guess. Well, and theaters are scared, right? Mm. Like 
they push back against any film Netflix produces that they want to have. They they usually end up having to do a limited run in art houses that aren't affiliated with a major theater company because like Regal's not going to carry this new War Machine. No, the Okja or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's the new Bong Joon Bong Joon Ho yeah, yeah. or whatever film. Um, trailer looks amazing. It's on Netflix now. I haven't seen it yet, but um, they won't play that because they're afraid of competition. Mm -hmm. Um. And so they, they push back against everything. They're pushing back against the Sean Parker thing, even though he's compensating them, in my view, more than they would have made. They're just so par paranoid of losing any revenue because well, the profit margin is paper thin in that mm -hmm. industry. You know what? You know where why they're resisting on that is because of the concession stamp. Oh yeah, because that's, that's the only place they make money. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, somebody comes out and says, "Oh, here's a here's a way you can make tons of money and everything." You lose all of that concession markup, man. And yeah, you know, I mean, those concession prices are huge for a reason. Folks. It's crazy. People have no qualms whatsoever in paying those because you're sequestered at that point. Well, yeah. and there is no more important piece of data, at least back when I was a GM, to the home office than what what's called a per cap, mm -hmm. which is basically how many how many dollars did you make at concession mm -hmm. per attendance paid? Because you know. As a theater, plenty of people won't go to the concession stand. They either sneak something in their purse or they're just not hungry at the time. They go in. Like, my brother always gets a popcorn. Always. It's mm -hmm. just a part of his ritual. But that's not everybody. Mm -hmm. And so you take your total concession sales and you divide it by your total attendance. And that's how many – that's what, that's your per cap. And mm -hmm. if it was anywhere over $2, they were generally pretty happy. Mm. Um, because that meant, basically, they averaged 2 bucks at the concession for every customer through the door. Um, <clears throat> so they're – they're actively paying attention to concession sales. But I guess what bothers me is that I feel like, and again, I'm, I sound like a Sean Parker apologist. I just really like this idea and mm -hmm. want to watch these movies at home. But if he's if he's going to charge 50 bucks, that makes it a luxury item. It already takes out a lot of the public. They're going to keep going to the theater. And then if he's going to give you 25 bucks as a, as a theater, well, right there, it's, just consider that at hot dog sales. Yeah, like it doesn't have to come from concessions if you're still getting money. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, they don't. The theaters don't make much money at all uh, on box office. There, there. I think they might just be worried the, that if people start doing that all the time, they won't have anybody coming to the theater. Yeah, that's ultimately what it comes down to. And then like every all the money that they're reporting back to the studios is way less, and then they start getting way less uh, leverage and all this type of stuff. And they see down the road that potentially undermining them. Um, I think they're probably probably smart not to jump in on that. Well, right? I, if, if they're protecting their own business interests, I get it. Um, because, you know, the other thing we haven't really talked about is, let's say they enact this new service and I want to sign up for it. Well, I'm going to put a nice big screen in my house and some comfy chairs. And the next thing you know, I might be inviting my friends over to watch Spider-Man mm -hmm. Homecoming with me and... Now we've compounded how many people are not going to the theater. Mm -hmm. uh, fascinating times we live in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Times, they are changing. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. What are your favorite, least favorite, and what do you believe to be the most accurate depictions of the future? Uh, this person thought about this question because uh, watching her and thought her was a solid representation of where uh, this person thinks the human race is going. Man, her is perfect isn't it isn't it yeah. such a perfect movie and perfect future and everything uh the one that i feel like is the most accurate and i could probably put it under my favorite too is minority report oh, oh yeah good call um i feel like 
a lot of the stuff that's in Minority Report is either here or is coming. Mm-hmm. Um, like, we already sort of experienced this, but, you know, just think about Tom Anderton walking through all these malls and these, like, ads, reading his eyes and saying, hey, remember when you... Actually, it was reading. He's reading the, the Japanese guy's right, right, eyes yeah, that yeah. he got in. But, yeah, remember when you came through here and you bought that, that uh, sweater or whatever mm-hmm. the hell it was? We already get that through internet and everything, through the cookies and everything like There's that. There's even, I read about a billboard, I think it was Mini Cooper, had some kind of RFID technology in the car, in the computer, and they used a digital billboard to show an ad different when Mini Coopers were approaching the billboard because oh. it picked up the chip in their oh, car. Wow. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I, I agree. It's almost scary how much that gets right. Yeah, and uh, and at the time Minority Report came out, those like little sliding like uh, images on monitors and everything mm-hmm. yeah. wasn't a thing. Where he's got the gloves and doing all the yeah, but yeah, yeah. now it's it's not like that, but it's very close. close. Oh, it's close. very close to that. If if not, there's probably somebody trying to make one where you can just you know throw things. Oh sure. Up. I mean, this is if you if you see like advertisers or things like that that are that are using touchscreen uh, technology with their monitors, these huge monitors. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one an ad agency in Chicago that I saw where people were. It it almost reminded me of that where they're just like, no, I don't want that, and you just mm-hmm. you know, throw it away and bring this up here and that kind of thing. And yeah. it reminded me a lot of Tom Cruise's choreography remember this movie came out in 2002 so there's a lot of the stuff that's in that movie that looks almost like you know what we're doing today wasn't going on in 2002 i can tell you that right now the other thing is the automated cars which we know is going to be reality yep um and i think automated cars and automated just vehicles in general will lead to where the roads themselves may not be like what we know them and we'll start seeing a lot of this stuff we see in minority report where they're like going like sheer cliffs yeah Yeah. sheer cliffs and all that other type of stuff because at that point if you've got all the like stuff settled on automation and everything why not would you be a fan of that what going off cliffs (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> the automated automated transportation yes. like individual automated yes um yes we will end drunk driving immediately yeah that's true not there, only that but i can sleep in my there, car there is <laughs> the one thing that scares me about automated driving and 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 this is the argument that gets brought up is that the these automated systems follow the rules so well Mm -hmm. that there is a potential of danger being caused by you know like um what would what would be the situation where they they want to avoid a car in the in or they want to avoid a car or something they go out of their way to do it and then just run into something on the sidewalk or Mm -hmm. whatever well that's that's the classic dilemma they're trying to deal with is you know in in a situation like that who's more important for the car to save a pedestrian they're about to hit or a bicyclist or the occupant of the car Mm -hmm. and and how will software make that decision and i'm not saying we should do this tomorrow with the current tech i'm just saying once we have gotten there um it's gonna make a lot of shit better Mm -hmm. like you know how you know how much i hate traffic because i bitch about it constantly (laughs) and if you drive north of this city toward where i live after 3 p.m. on any weekday, you're fucked <laughs> because there's so much merging and so many different highways coming together and separating and whatnot. 
But the only reason that ever backs up is because of human drivers. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. If they were all being driven by a precision machine that could time things like human beings are incapable of like zippering from two lanes into one. It's, it's but computers worst. could do it very efficiently mm -hmm. to where even an accident or something blocking the road causing a merge wouldn't actually cause a traffic jam. Mm -hmm. um, sleeping in your car, no drunk driving. I got all the reasons, man. I want I want automated cars here yesterday. Yeah. Um, Good call. And, and, and I'm sure they would be cool. I mean, I'm sure there's some people out there that are like, well, I want to be able to drive a little bit faster than yeah, the speed exactly. limit and all that. So you're going to have resistance with that type of thing. But I agree. I think it, I think things would be better overall in general. But And you could go off cliffs. You could go off cliffs, man. You could uh, you could sling rocks. Um, <laughs> Even those spider drones that they deploy seem plausible now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Something that goes into a building mm -hmm. and just eye scans everybody. Um, that seems feasible. So you look at a lot of the stuff that's in Minority Report, other than the telling the future part. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, a lot of the technology is dead on what's going on right now. Yep. I wonder how much, how far into the future that's set. Do you know off the top of your head? I don't. I it's, can't remember. It's not that far. I want to say fifty years. Maybe. Yeah, because there's still like regular technology. I mean, it's almost like an iRobot type of thing where there's still yeah the vestiges of the humanity. Let's left not over. talk about that movie. Fuck that movie. I'm still scarred. It's awful. Um, I have always found the future of Demolition Man to be frightening to me in a lot of ways. <laughs> <laughs> and again, preposterous ass movie. Yes. But some of the bigger ideas of the future this movie presents seem plausible to me mm -hmm. and scary. For one, that, that an authoritarian government figure could basically be evil and put people down through the concept of peace. Because this guy basically rises to power by ending violence, ending crime, outlawing dangerous things like sex, mm -hmm. right? And it gets to this point where society's become so sterile, it's oppressive through its lack of violence and emotion. Um, and, you know, that would probably drive people underground, literally, um, figuratively. <laughs> and then the whole really terrible product placement joke with Taco Bell being the only restaurant left on, on Earth after... The, you know, the fast food wars or <laughs> yeah. the restaurant wars or what have you. Again, that's an exaggeration. But, I mean, look, Amazon just bought Whole Foods. Disney mm -hmm. owns half the entertainment properties that exist. Uh, con conglomerates are uh, nothing new, and it's only happening more and more. Mm -hmm. as big cable companies are merging, and NBC's buying Verizon or Comcast. Or what the that seems plausible to me. Yeah. I mean, I think they would probably still have more variety, but the idea that all restaurants one day in this future might be owned by the same entity makes perfect sense to me. Well, yeah, Yum uh, owns most of the fast food well, exactly. restaurants at this point. Yeah? Well, no, but they Taco own Bell. a good 20% yeah, of them. KFC, Taco Bell, and Pizza yeah. Oh, yeah, A&W, too. And Pepsi. Mm -hmm. Pepsi owns Yum. Yeah. Might be the other way around. Anyway, that, that is, future scares the shit out is, of me. Is it, in Demolition Man, are they, are they saying that Taco Bell is the only restaurant from the wet restaurant wars because of of that type of thing, or is it because of some other sort of violent? No, I think it's just a reference to the the cola wars of the eighties. Okay, so uh, it is it is what how you're referencing yeah. it there. Yeah, yeah. And then you have Dennis Leary ranting about how he wants a steak. You know what? <laughs> I know he got a lot of accolade, accolades from that fireman show that I never watched, Rescue Me. Yep. But I was watching The Sandlot the other day. I don't mm -hmm. think he gets enough respect as an actual actor because he because he made such a deep carving impression 
that those first five years with those ads he did on MTV yep. and then this appearance in Demolition Man where his shtick was this, you know, speed talking. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, in the Sandlot, he's really good. He's got he's got to play a lot of different layers there. Mm-hmm. He's the stepdad. Have you seen the Sandlot? It's been forever. Um, and the kid takes his Babe Ruth signed ball to play with, and then they lose it to the dog. All that stuff. Anyway, Dennis Leary is a really good actor. Interesting. The end. Uh, so one of the most realistic and depressing uh, movies and depictions of the the future, I think, is Elysium. Mm. Um, yep. Now it's overblown, and it's it's definitely you know got that dramatic element, and it's got a no. Terrible... This is exactly what's going to happen. Okay, so Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos are going to go up into space. Yep, they're going to build a colony on Mars or the Moon. Yep, and they're only going to let the richies come. Yep, and people who can't afford it are going to turn. To... I I agree with you a hundred percent. I think this is an excellent pick. And why wouldn't they? We've got a massive disparity in wealth in this country in particular. Mm-hmm. It's only getting worse. Everybody or, or more disparate. Yep. Everybody agrees on that. It's just that the the top half doesn't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> like this is working out for us. Yeah. There's no pretense about, and I'm not getting on a, a political soapbox here, but there's no pretense about trickle down economics because it's it just is the way it is. Um, there is you know a disappearing middle class, and while it may not be as completely stark as the the film depicts as far as the slums and all that stuff it may not be that far off no. i mean uh you know if you've got all of the the world's brightest minds richest uh pocketbooks and you know the tech that could cure any disease yeah you'd probably want to keep that separate and if you have the technology to build it in space or on another planet i think it could be possible we're living in a world where at the time, a year or so ago, the only company that made the EpiPen decided to jack up the price by yeah. like 500 times because yep. they could. Yep. And if you needed an EpiPen, you still had to pay it. Mm-hmm. So that if we develop those machines they have in Elysium, they're not going to put them on the street corners or in the hospitals or give them away. They're going to charge $10,000 a minute for using that machine. Oh, mm-hmm. you want your broken arm set? That'll be, you know, I mean, yeah, I could see this future happening for real. I do too. It's, it's, it's kind of like an economic evolution uh, that, you know, with the pace of technology, you can see being realistic. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a good call. That mm-hmm. was the best call of all three of us. I have no yeah. problem saying that. Mm-hmm. Do we want to go back through with our, yeah. our favorite and least favorite? Or do you want to move on to the next one? Um, I was going to say as far as favorite, I mentioned Blade Runner last week mm-hmm. where I was talking about how much I love the look of it and everything. Uh, I love the future of Gattaca, which yeah. speak of <laughs> speaking great. of uh, getting off the planet and yep. and, uh, yeah. and and that's the, what that movie's about. Yeah, yeah, about being uh, genetically superior enough to be able to go. Although it's, I just watched this last week. Really, really, Gattaca? I hadn't seen it since it came out, but you would you had raved about it a little bit. Um, it's got a whammy of an ex machina ending. Yeah, <laughs> because that doctor knows who he is. Yeah. but because of something that happened to his son, I'm gonna <laughs> wink, wink, let you into the space right. capsule. And uh, I, when that came on, I was like, "Wow!" But before that, I was pretty riveted. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Gattaca is a really good movie that I don't know we talk about as much today. Um, the the guy who did it, Andrew Nichol, uh, mm-hmm. like later did a couple of movies you've heard of, but yeah, he yeah. never had that. That same kind, and even Gattaca wasn't a big, huge hit or anything. Um, but the future in that, like the, the look of Gattaca, is phenomenal. Yep. Uh, and uh, and I just, I just, I, the idea of being able to um, create the kids that you absolutely want—that is a really—is um, that a moral type of uh, 
argument that you would have. Oh, with absolutely. Somebody. And that's because something that's having that's we're going to go right there. Now. Yeah, because I don't know what how you guys feel about it, but I feel like I would be for that. Is that right? Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, we we used to work with these genetically modified animals uh, mm-hmm. that you put in this CRISPR uh, splint, basically. It's called a CRISPR, and you can formulate that to modify whichever turn on and off the, the genetics and epigenetics of, of these, these particular subjects. And that has just recently turned into a, a moral debate. Uh, I would... Uh, it, it gets into really deep it things. does because yeah. I, even i as i say that i might be for it i sit there and think you know is there any like real issue to this that i'm not thinking about um because you know i mean you can you can have there's so many different things the, the, now the problem is you know it it does it does go against that the the fastest swimmer mm-hmm. uh isn't isn't the one that's getting picked or whatever which of course you know they beat you over the head in that in Gattaca with the swimming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, symbolism folks. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh but you know, I mean it's just because he's the fastest swimmer doesn't mean he's the best. Yeah. But, you know, it's just a, one of those it's a slippery slope. Yeah. Like, I don't I would have no problem if Barrett said, I'm gonna have another trial and I'm gonna choose for this child to be blonde. Mm-hmm. Go to town, dude. Yeah. Knock yourself out. Yeah. Like, let, I but where do you stop? Yeah. Where do you start bringing in people outside to give the okay for you to do this? Uh, we don't want to weed people out genetically of our society, which I think is the danger. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, what Gattaca set, sets forth is that you have the have-nots who, who can't either can't afford it or just have bad genes or what have you. And now we've created even more class war- warfare where... Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, but I mean, you know, in Gattaca, you're obviously rooting for Ethan Hawke because he's the he's the underdog and yep. everything. But, there, you know, his dad has that really cruel line where he's like, the only way you're going to get on that ship is if you're cleaning it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, Gattaca, really good. Now, as far as least favorite, I don't have like the, I kept thinking about this. This is a tough one. Mm-hmm. If you don't like a certain future. It, it it tends to sort of be because you just don't want to go that way. There's a lot of post-apocalyptic futures, like the road and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. You definitely don't want to be in the road's future. No. You don't want to be Michael Kenneth Williams from the road. Oh, yeah. Um, the, uh, but, you know, I, as far as how prescient they are a lot of times you can look, we, obviously barrett and i watched that transformers the movie yeah. where the future the transformers the movie the transformers the movie <laughs> um the uh the the, the future uh, there is 2005 yeah <laughs> and there's really almost no point in it being 2005 by the way there wasn't really anything in there there you're going Oh, yeah, by 2005, robots will be all over the place. Fuck I guess, yeah. There are hoverboards, apparently. There are hoverboards, for sure. Um, but uh, recently, I watched the Westworld movie. Ah. 70s. Yeah. Oh, Yule Brenner. Wow. Yule Brenner. I saw this movie a lot when I was a kid. Oh, yeah? I don't know why, because my mom would not have approved, but huh. I saw it. It's uh, it's interesting watching that one. Uh, and, and, yeah, I mean, you compare it to the Westworld that's on HBO and everything, like the futuristic society that, that it paints is, it's not uh, nearly what uh, what the HBO show does, but it, it, there's, so, there's so much plain about that, uh, that original Westworld, and maybe it's just because I came to it too late, maybe, 
I just didn't find that future compelling at mm-hmm. all. And I like 70 sci-fi. I like the death races of the world. And I yeah, like, yeah. Uh, you know, rollerball back in the day mm-hmm. and everything. Not the Chris Pine one. Or the Chris, uh, uh, what's it, not Chris Pine. It was Chris Klein. Chris, Chris Klein. Klein. <laughs> 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 Hello, Cool J. <Jim. laughs> yeah, not that rollerball. Um, you know, Logan's Run, those type of movies. I like those 70s. But that one, I don't know. Something about it was just too too plain for me like yeah it's robots but they sh- they're shitty robots you know? <laughs> <laughs> fuck those robots <laughs> exactly it's like when joey gets that gig on friends on uh, the tv show mac and cheese <laughs> where cheese is the robot and he gets to he gets to the set the first day and this robot looks shittier than johnny number five from short circuit like by three decades and joey's like oh well where's the real robot I thought I figured this must be the stand-in. Right? I was expecting an actual robot, but this thing's just like it looks like built with tinker toys, <laughs> mac and cheese. That's the the awesome. cheese stands for something. Computer, nice. something, nice. something. Oh my god! Nice. Never got about that. Oh god, it's such a good show. My favorite. I I love the Fifth Elements. Yeah, universe. man. I think it's just cool as hell. Yes, like it it's is. just it, yes, it's cartoony. Of all the ones, of all the looks of future, yeah. those that's the coolest one. You want to know right? what it I is. like most about it? Mm-hmm. That fucking flying. Chinese food bodega guy. Oh, no kidding, man. Can you imagine mm. if, right to your window. if Taco Bell would come to my house <laughs> and make the tacos and hand them to me and oh. shoot the shit with me while I'm... Oh, man, I love that part. Anyway, By the on. way, before you before you get further into it, yeah, just watch the trailer for The Fifth Element sometime. Oh, yeah. It it pulls you right in, yeah. man. I, I was immediately on board for Fifth Element when I first saw the trailer. And uh, and that just it's so colorful and so very futuristic. Every yeah. there's so many great ideas in it. There's so, uh, weird details like all the flight attendants going to Flossed in Paradise have no makeup on, mm. and like it, they all look pretty much the same. And they've got these brightly colored, you know, the hairdos and things like that. And it's just so weird and fascinating. You can dive into all this stuff. Yeah, you know, it's fun. Yeah, that's a good one. My least favorite. I want to get you guys' opinion on this. I hate it. Um, idiocracy is just nails on chalkboard to me. I've, as far as okay, so here's, here's we have the two why. we have two we have two diverging things here. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you hate it because it's not a realistic future, or do you hate it because it is a future that you think we could? That you or just do you don't hate it because you, you just, think it's not. You funny. just don't like the future. It's it's a little bit in between those because I think and I appreciate that my judge went that far into it. Like mm-hmm. he really took it. He pushed the pedal down to the floor. Mm-hmm. But I think it goes a little bit too far. Like it, it's just not enjoyable to. You can me. get it's a hand not, job at Starbucks. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and there's some great jokes in there. But and and yes, it is possible that we'll start like funneling power aid or whatever it is through our our, right. our our irrigation systems and things like that but to me it just it just the idiocy i'm trying to say it without saying idiocracy the idiocy i think makes it just not enjoyable to me it could absolutely happen we could get dumbed down to the point where we can't communicate where everything is just you know boxes on a tv and we're baiting and we're doing all this crazy shit but I think it, it just goes too far into into dumbing it down that it's it's just not a fun watch. Well, I will say this about Idiocracy: um, the the thing about it is it at the very beginning it sets up why this happens. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's 
it's extremely reductionist to, mm-hmm. to say that, well, because this one couple who's smart can't have babies, and then they show the the dumb couple yeah. who can have babies, and then their babies can have babies, and so on and so forth. It's reductionist to say that all smart people can't have babies. Yep. So that is one thing. Now, that's how they set up the whole movie. Yep. Uh, so at least they explain it. It's not like, you know, it, it goes straight into that future. Oh, no, yeah. Now... You're absolutely right. The idiocy of it is kind of stupid because you're like trying to feed. And I don't mean that like trying to be funny. Right, 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 right. The idiocy of it is kind of stupid because you do wonder how the society functions at all. Yeah. yeah. Like, how does anything happen? Yeah. You know, um, obviously not much is happening, but it's still going along pretty well where people can feed themselves and yeah. live in apartments and, you know, and, and watch out my balls and, yeah, yeah. and all this other type of stuff. They're, they're, they're able to function at least as even though they're everybody is just ridiculously dumb. Yep. Um, out my balls always makes me think of, uh, <laughs> oops, I just crapped my pants. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so because I'm wearing one right now. Yeah. And I just did. <laughs> also though, at the same time, because it's a comedy, it does have to set it up that way, mm-hmm. unfortunately. So, uh, I see what you're saying. It goes balls deep, man. It like it goes all the way, and I appreciate that. And I think the early episodes of Beavis and Butthead did the, a similar thing to where they were so stupid mm-hmm. that it turned a lot of people off. And I don't know the the context was so funny to me that 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 landed for me. Uh, not all the sketches actually, but uh, but Idiocracy it just for whatever reason like it it loses me. You know, and and I think if that movie had had maybe some some more money and more like marketing and like more time behind it, I didn't. It doesn't even look like the studio. And I think it was Fox did mm. that movie. Had had much faith in the movie from the get go mm-hmm. because I remember when it came out, it didn't even it didn't even come out in New York City. It came out in like three random oh, yeah, it was towns, like Austin and yeah, uh, yeah, in L.A. and whatever. yeah, and then it was there for a week or two, and then it just went to video where everybody sort of discovered it. But um, I mean, they could have explored a lot of things. Like are, there could have there might have been some smart people, but they're all jailed or they're mm-hmm. like you know they're underneath the like they're Dennis Leary and Demolition Man. Yeah, you know, yeah. you know there's uh you know there's there's a whole thing they could have explored there. But the movie's like an hour and twenty minutes. Yeah, it's just yeah, like boom, 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 boom. And uh, telling the jokes and getting out of there. Yeah. So, yeah, I I see what you're saying. I'm not saying you're wrong. Yeah, no, and and it could absolutely happen. It's just my least favorite future watching. And experience. and going along the lines of what you're saying with Demolition Man, the Costco that has every single thing in yeah. It yeah. under the roof. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, you want to do one more question? Let's do one more question. All right. All right. Here's another emailer, and make sure to email us, hit us up, however you want to. Thanks to Cinema Sins. Now I hear you guys sending movies as I watch them. My question for you is: While you are watching the movie for the first time, are you seeing sins or calling them out in your first viewing? So there are two two things going on here. First mm-hmm. off, I watch a movie not to do the sinning because the sinning sort of is a burden as far as like because you're actually working quote mm-hmm. unquote mm-hmm. quote unquote working when you're sinning the movies. Um, so. To sit there and think about stuff and pause it and all sort of type of stuff, that's not happening, obviously, in a movie theater. Right. However, just yesterday, watching Baby Driver, 
there were about three or four times I was like, oh yeah, that's <laughs> if we if we end up doing this movie, this is getting sinned. Yep. Getting the send the fuck out of. <laughs> yeah. Um, because there are there are moments where you you just can't help it because you sit there and you think, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> and and if if you were at home watching it, you'd pause it, you'd rewind it, you're like, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah. not the case at all. Um. So yeah, I mean, it's a short answer is yes. Uh, I don't sit there and write it down or anything, and I don't sit there and think about it. And for me, it's the big, it's the big obvious ones, like when when there's a movie that says its own title in a line of dialogue. Yeah. I, my brain is can't help but go, well, that'll be a roll credit soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if it's something I'm seeing for the first time, I don't, I don't tend to spot much in the way of sins. Because I'm much more invested, I think I've said this before, even if it's a shit movie, if I've never seen it, it's got people in it that I like, I want to know how it ends. Mm-hmm. I want to follow the story. Uh, but I s- constantly sin all the other bullshit in life. <laughs> like, there's a series of, I think it's Canada Dry, ginger ale commercials. And the first half of each commercial is like a party atmosphere. It's like, party now, and then the second half will be some quiet moment of reflection with somebody enjoying a ginger ale. Uh-huh. And the first one I ever saw, it was a guy in what looks like his living room, and there's a Roomba with a new ginger ale on it sidling up to him, and he bends down and picks up the ginger ale. This commercial was on the other day. I'm watching TV with my wife, and I was like, okay, sure. But he still had to get up, go all the way to the fridge, put a new ginger ale on the Roomba, <laughs> and then wait for the Roomba to make its way to his chair. Because those things aren't remote control. Yeah. And it just, the, <laughs> whole, on a, on the whole thing falls apart for me. <laughs> Makes me not want to buy your ginger ale. It has to go through the sequence of events. Yeah. You know what? It's funny. I, and I'm pretty sure, like, in a very, very early podcast, I brought this commercial up. But there was a Taco Bell commercial that happened a few years ago well i guess a year or two ago yeah um where there there people are trying like it's uh it's what is it a golden playstation yeah, yeah. or whatever or what was oh, that yeah. what it was yeah, yeah it was a gold playstation it was a gold playstation so the 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 thing is is they, they there's people are at a party and they're like Where'd you get the gold PlayStation? And he goes through all this bullshit with the Russian mob and <laughs> all this other stuff. And and then by the end of it, they're like, well, yeah, uh, no, you couldn't have done that. You he had to win it through Taco Bell, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like sitting there going, who makes up that goddamn story? <laughs> <laughs> When everybody knows the only way you can get it is by going to their stupid. Why even ask the question in the first exactly, place? Exactly, their stupid contest or whatever. <laughs> like, it, it, did this guy think this was like so not well known that he could get away with a Russian mob story and impress the girl? Oh, and the best is my wife watches a lot of lately. She's been watching a lot of Little House on the Prairie. Oh. oh. I get kicked out of the room frequently. You sin Little House on the Prairie? I can't help it. What that, the fuck? That show is full of sins. <laughs> There's people on that show constantly doing shit. Do you know how many children Michael Landon's character adopts in like the 20 season run of the show? It's like 182 yeah. different children that wandered into town that he mm-hmm. adopts. Really? And they it's all like, live on the Little House on the Prairie? It's like Pete's they Dragon for yeah. Little House on the Prairie. Fuck Pete's Dragon. God, that movie pissed me off. It's funny because I don't know if it's going to get used or not, and I can't remember what I wrote it for, but I wrote a Little House on the Prairie outtake the other day. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> Just awesome. to play the music. Do you do, do you watch Little House on the Prairie? This is one of those things where I'm like, was I there? 
<laughs> I used to watch Little House on the Prairie a lot. Yeah, me too. And you know, remember at the end where Melissa Gilbert's running down the hill and it's the credits and everything yeah. and they're playing that like, you know, whatever. Was there a big X that goes across her face when it, when it freeze frames or whatever? Not that I recall. Oh, my God. Like, I have nightmares of this shit. Like, there's like like she's running down the hill and it's the credits and everything. <laughs> and then, like, it's a freeze frame like they used to do in 70s, uh-huh. 70s shows or whatever. And, like, as soon as, she, as soon as it froze, a big X would show up over her face. Huh. And, like, I guess I'm just remembering that as a kid and it's wrong but that's interesting i don't like, know i always really tried always wondered what the x was for why are they putting an x over her face? is is that meaning she's next she's next <laughs> she's the next victim yeah. um were we answering a question <laughs> i think we're pretty close to done i think we? we're done I think right? we're good baby uh, all right. Well, that'll do it for this week. Uh, keep going to SoundCloud and giving us your thoughts. Yeah, we've had a lot of people come on and a lot of comments, a lot of regulars, a lot of new people. I see a lot of people saying this is the first time I've commented. Um, we see a lot of like we're enjoying it. So thank you guys for doing that. Go to iTunes, too, if you want to, you know, hook us up with the rating. Um, there are five stars. You know, click on the five. I'm yeah, just, there's only five star ratings. Yes, there's there's really... Don't bother with those first. The other four, four stars. they don't get you shit. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, that'll do it for this week. It's Chris Atkins and Jeremy Scott Barrett. Share. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasends.com. I watched a binge watched a lot of glow last night. Did you uh did you see the scene in question? That's in the pilot. That's in the is first. It? Oh yeah, that's in the first. Well, oh, there's yeah. a, there's a couple of them. And what's weird is because she's I don't know how much you guys watched Mad Men, but like besides John Hamm and January Jones and Elizabeth Moss, like I could not name any character uh the the actor's name. Like those those oh. gaggle of dudes that work for him. Yeah. Mhm. I have no, no idea. The Vincent Cardheiser was was a was the guy who played. Um, is he see, the, I don't know the character's name? Pete. Pete. Yeah. Oh, he was a oh, Pete Campbell. Yeah, yeah okay. Pete Campbell. And then whoever but was then, the yeah, TV guy. But yeah, then a lot of those other guys, I've seen them. Yeah. In other movies <laughs> before, but I don't. Well, know you're talking name. about Richard Sommer, right? Probably so. He's in Glow. Yeah. 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 And like I was like, oh, that's the Mad Men guy. And my wife was like, who is that? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. It's the guy. It's the guy. You know, the guy. But they were all like, you know, kind of chubby, brown headed guys. Yeah. <laughs> they all <laughs> ran together. You know? There were a lot of them. They all ran together. But no, that's a that's a really good show, man. Oh yeah. And fucking Mark Marin, that's like a perfect role for him. Oh yeah. Oh my god, it's so good. It's good. Netflix is making some good shit, yo. Yeah, I haven't really watched anything besides Stranger Things, this, and I don't even watch Orange is the New Black or uh, House of Cards anymore. My wife or anything. W- watches Orange is the New Black. I've seen most of it. It's pretty good. Is it still good? I haven't seen any of the newest seasons. The, mm. well, the season previous to this one, I watched two episodes, and then I never got that, I gotta watch the next one, like I did with the first couple seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and House of Cards, I haven't watched this new season. And the past two or three seasons, I've blown through it in three days. So, like... I think a lot of that has to do with our current environment. <laughs> or at least for me. Like, I just can't get ramped up for, like, 
terrible things in politics. Yeah. yeah. If fictionalized. That's true. Well, it's funny. I saw an interview where they, Robin Wright said, you know, Trump kind of stole a bunch of our thunder. Like we had to right? rework this entire season because we had some ideas that won't, won't play now. Um, <laughs> Because it's real life, and yeah. can't, it's not a parody. I just thought that was funny. Nobody would believe that. Right. Who would believe that? They wouldn't insult a morning show, like on the day of the morning show, and say that the girl <laughs> oh, had Jesus. a facelift. Oh, Jesus. Mm-hmm. A bloody yeah. facelift. <laughs> bloody facelift. That's, That's a great grunge album. Yep, there you go. One day I just want to get into, I want to go into a think tank for like a week and mm-hmm. figure out how the fuck to change the way things go in this gundry, man. Because the... the the echo chambers that everybody bitched about during the election are still flying strong, man. Oh yeah, yeah. They're even they're even worse. Probably they're way worse. They're and digging in. It's got yeah. It's gotten to the point now where you can't watch anything mm. because everything's gonna everything's got sort of a you know this skewed point of view. Everybody's got a thing that they want to go after, and it's like you know. <laughs> You know, I mean, and it's no wonder why, you know, Republicans hate you and there's no wonder that de- Democrats hate you yeah. and no wonder like there's no everybody hates everybody. That's right. There's no wonder about that. Like, you know, somehow it recorded our vocals at like six percent faster. Oh, really? And so we sound like a bunch of teenagers. Christmas, Christmas time is here. here here's, here's a sample of it. Listen to this. It's, it was hilarious. I got it adjusted. Gone with the wind came out today. It wouldn't make a billion, you know, dollars. You There's have no to put some of that in the outtakes with some kind of explanation. Mm. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. We're not screwed on that episode, though. You can no, fix that. I slowed it down. Gone that's... with the wind came out today. <laughs> By the way, I tell you what, no this reminds me. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Um, this reminds me of is when I was working for uh, working for this company shooting uh, depositions. Uh-huh. So part of the part of the job shooting depositions was you had to also make uh, a, a cassette recording of the of the deposition so that you could give it to the court reporter. And the court reporter would uh, I guess either transcribe it or They'd, they'd check it against their whatever they did or whatever, mm-hmm. I guess. They just needed it for that. So you had this you had this convergence of things going on. You had to, you know, when you when you started your deposition up, you had to, like, you know, start the camera up, start the cassette player, start some other thing, I think. I think it was two cameras. Uh, one was a backup copy just in case the other copy didn't work. Um, so there was one day where I was... I was going through all this and, uh, and the deposition was going and like the, the tape ended like 30 minutes before it usually does. Hmm. And I was like, Oh shit. What the fuck is that? Uh, you know, and it always led to these. So every time you had to flip the tape anyway, there was always these awkward moments. Cause you, cause you would, it'd be about, about an hour to it and everything. And somebody would be like talking and you were like, okay, is this a perfect time to like <laughs> stop it, flip the tape, <laughs> put it in because it's going to make that noise <laughs> that, you know, that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like in true lies when they're down on the keys and they've got Arnold prisoner and he's filming his big video message, but the tape the battery runs out or whatever, but the guy's too afraid to tell him. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and so like, I, luckily this deposition only lasted like, I don't know, 45 minutes or something like that. 
I got done with it and I noticed that the tape was playing the voices back that like fast. Like, uh-huh. And, uh, and the court reporter just happened to be like the, the head of his firm or whatever. He like usually didn't run. I usually didn't run into this guy. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, man, I'm sorry. This, this tape is, uh, it, it played actually like too fast. And he goes, oh man, you know, I really needed that tape. Uh, he was like, this has got me screwed up because I'm going to have to do this and that. And the other thing I was like, I think I've got an idea. <laughs> and, uh, so he went home or whatever. And I went back to the, to the office. There was another one of these decks that you use for depositions. And I played it at fast speed and recorded the other one at the normal speed. Uh huh. And got it all oh, yeah, yeah. set up mm-hmm. for him and everything. And I went by his house and delivered him. Nice. The, the That's above and beyond right there. I'm pretty much a badass. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you are. Chris is going to Vegas next week. That's right. I'm going to Vegas next week. That's right. My bum is on your lips. My bum is on your lips. <laughs> is this your audio test? I'm not going to Vegas. In fact, while you guys are in Vegas, there's a period of time where I will be taking care of eight cats. <laughs> or helping, at least. What is the what is the eight? Well, I've got four at home of my own. Uh-huh. And my, my wife's out of town, so she's not going to be able to help me with those. Her friend went out of town and... My wife usually takes care of her friend's cat, uh, but they're both out of town at the same time, so it fell to me. And then Chris has three cats, and I'm going to be one of the people helping take care of those. <laughs> so I will, I, will, I will have eight cats under my watch for about four days. Mm-hmm. Damn. It's going to be going to be a little hairy. <laughs> <laughs> Although, you know, what's what's good about cats, though, is you go in, you feed them, and pet them a couple of times, and yeah. then you leave. They're pretty low maintenance. Yeah. <laughs> Unlike a dog where, you know, somebody's got to come by multiple times a day, let them outside. Mm-hmm. Throw the goddamn tennis ball. Yep. Fucking dogs. Make, dogs, man. Yep. Um, so I'm thinking about getting a dog. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, I am, but um, I just thought that'd be a funny transition after <laughs> <laughs> dogs.